It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Whatever you've got on this weekend, don't miss a moment in the world of sport. Wherever you are around the country, we've got you covered. This is SENZ. Good morning, or good afternoon, I should say. Just got midday here on SENZ. Your Sunday afternoon with Ricardo Ball with you through until 3.30 this afternoon. And I trust everybody's dry, uh, dry and safe uh, as much as you can be. I know that the heavy rain warnings have been extended down country now, so the uh, the cyclone's moving down the country. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the advice from the experts is if you don't have to travel, don't. Um, so stay put and uh, stay dry, basically. And if you see lots of sitting water, uh, try not to play in it. I know the temptation is there, but uh, there's a good chance some of that is sewage. And uh, who knows what else is hiding underneath that you can't see because most of it's brown. There's not too much crystal clear water out there. Uh, But, uh, yeah, be safe, and I hope everybody's doing all right uh, in what has been a very testing weekend weather-wise, particularly for the top half of the North Island at least. Let's uh, talk about what we've got coming up on the show. Paul Eiffel. Uh, played in the FA Cup final once against Manchester United uh, back in trying to remember what year it was early 2000 maybe 2004 I think FA Cup final um, Paul Eiffel was part of that team we've had a fourth round of the FA Cup a whole bunch of games played uh, the last couple of days got some more tomorrow uh, and we had the Phoenix yesterday as well and he was on CoComs on Sky with the Phoenix as well so Paul Eiffel's going to join us shortly we'll talk a bit of football also uh, out of Australia from Crick Info, as uh, an English journalist, uh, Andrew McGlashan, uh, who follows all the cricket. We're going to talk to him about the Big Bash, where that sits, uh, Australia prepping for the Indian series, uh, how England and South Africa, that uh, one-day series has, uh, we're only one game into it, but it has already uh, decided what the rankings are going to be for the one-day World Cup, because England needed to win that series three-zip if they were going to get the number one spot in the ODI rankings, uh, and they lost the first game to South Africa. So that means that India will hold on to the number one spot in the ODI rankings, and I believe it is basically after that series that the rankings will be done for the World Cup, so they, they will stay there. So we'll talk to Andrew Viglashen about that, uh, David Warner, a bunch of other things as well. 
Uh, we've of course got the Sevens out of Sydney and have been a good weekend so far for the Kiwi teams, the Black Ferns and the All Black Sevens teams both in the semi-finals and uh, those games are close to 6 o'clock tonight. I think uh, Black Ferns about quarter to 6 their semi. Uh, they take on the Irish and then the uh, All Black Sevens take on the French at around just after 6 o'clock. So we'll catch up with Taylor Johnson, uh, Sky Sports commentator, former Black Fern herself as well on all of that. Uh, we will catch up with Lavina Good because she has been uh, comment- well, she's down to commentate uh, the Blacksticks playing Spain. The game yesterday was uh, called off, but they are going to play today, and uh, we'll get Lavina's take on that, and uh, she can give us an update on the weather from Blake Park in Mountain Monganui as well. After 2 o'clock, hopefully we're going to have somebody out of the breakers. Um, so that'll be good. We'll talk some basketball. A big win for them against Melbourne United last night. They're on track for the playoffs, looking pretty good. That win against Melbourne almost uh, certainly knocks Melbourne out. They've only got one game left, and so they may not make postseason, uh, which is going to be interesting considering the guy that owns the league owns that team, and they're not punching uh, very well. Isaac Savage, uh, if you want to know anything about combat sports, boxing or MMA, he's a man to talk to. He's coming in studio, actually. We're going to talk about the fact that Israel Adesanya uh, has got a rematch against Alex Pereira, and that's coming up. We'll talk about what's going on at UFC uh, 284 in Perth, uh, how that lineup's coming together, Dan Hooker and a few others. And we'll talk about one next for Joseph Parker with Isaac as well. That around 2.30. So we've got all of that and more to come. Plus, uh, plenty of news around too. Actually, the the White Ferns played England uh, in South Africa in preparation for the World Cup. And that game was last night. And I can tell you that, you know, generally speaking, the the Poms have have been uh, a tough tough matchup for, uh, for the for the White Ferns, uh, but this game that was played uh, in Pretoria as a, as a warm-up match, uh, obviously the the pitch was doing a bit, I'll say that much. Uh, the English women all out for 91 uh, in this game. High score uh, was Sky for Brunt with 27. Here the night also got 23. Um, and the main uh, damage dealer was Jess Kerr. She took four for 14 off 3.2 overs. Uh, the White Ferns, in response, managed to uh, chase it down. But, whoo, man, it was close. They got there with one wicket to spare and three overs left. Susie Bates top scored with 28. Here's what Jess Kerr had to say about the match uh, post Definitely probably not the batting performance we hoped for, but I think we can take a lot away with how we perform with the ball. I think everyone contributed really, really well and a great way to start the series in that sense. Yeah, definitely. It's always always good starting off well and um, being able to help the, the team. And um, yeah, again, it wasn't, it wasn't just me. It was a team performance and I thought the team fielded really well to back, back up those wickets as well. So there you go, you're Jess Kerr talking about that, and uh, yeah, well, it's a good win. It's a good win, you've got to say, for the White Ferns against England, one of the top teams in the world, even though the batting didn't come quite through, but the bowling department uh, was superb. Uh, Jess Kerr, as I mentioned, took uh, four, for, uh, four for 14 off 3.2 overs. Other bowlers, uh, Hayley Jensen took one for 13 off two. Leah Tahu, who continues her fantastic form with the ball, has a, a T20 match, right? Four overs, two for 15. That is miserly, and a couple of wickets to boot as well. Mealy Kerr took one for 16 as well. Hannah Rowe took one for 11 off two. So, yeah, good performance from the New Zealand bowlers, and that that is uh, something you do love to see. Now, on the sevens, I mentioned uh, we're going to be talking to Taylor Johnson a little bit later on, but 
Uh, the semi-finals are coming up this afternoon uh, around 6 o'clock and uh, New Zealand got there by beating the Samoa, well the All Black Sevens team got there by beating Samoa 12-0 in their cup quarterfinals. So that was a tight one. They actually finished second in their group because even though they won their first two games, they ended up losing 17-14 to South Africa in the decider in that group. And you know how South Africa won that game 17-14? It was 14 apiece. In, uh, like injury time, basically. They got given a pen, kicked it kicked the pen in sevens to win it 17-14. So we ended up playing Samoa, who were top of their group, and we won that 12-0. So through to the semis, and uh, that semifinal is five past eight, uh, six tonight against the French. Um, For the Black Ferns, uh, they take on uh, the Irish at around a quarter to six tonight, and they had a they've had a funny old uh, tournament. The Black Ferns, just the way things have worked, because it's three groups of four, right? And you got to have quarterfinals. So some of the third best teams in the groups are getting through to the quarterfinals. So and uh, that the 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 Black Ferns have played. Uh, they played Papua New Guinea, who were there as an invitational team, and beat them 48-0. That was on Friday. Uh, but they've already played the French and won 29-14 in pool play. They played Japan and won 27-12 in pool play. Then they drew the Japanese in the quarters and beat them 33-0. And now they've got the French, who they also already played in the group. Uh, sorry, no, they've got the Irish. The French are on the other side. But they could play the French. So they could play two teams out of their pool twice in the tournament. It's the way it's looking for the Black Ferns. So uh, Taylor Johnson's a reminder is going to join us after one o'clock, and we'll preview the rest of the sevens coming up shortly. Paul Eiffel's going to join us. We're going to talk FA Cup and the Phoenix. With a weekend full of sport, we've got you covered twenty four seven. This is SENZ. It is 12.23 here on SENZ Sunday Afternoons with Ricardo. We head now to Australia to catch up with Crick Info's Andrew McGlashan. How are you doing, Andrew? Hi there. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, we, I hope you're staying dry. Uh, how, how's the cricket, mate? Lots of big... Same thing to you. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the same to you. Yeah, yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, mate, to be fair, uh, I, I think the, the, the pitches over here will be juicy for about another 10 years. You might want to stick him in and have a bowl. Yeah, yeah exactly, mate, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big Bash League. Uh, can I ask you a quick question? Because I couldn't find the information out uh, immediately. But uh, the final is going to be with the Perth Scorchers and someone else. 
Um, yes, but that's correct, yes. Perth, Perth Scorchers qualified yesterday. Yeah, yes. correct, right. So now tonight we've got the Melbourne Renegades take on the Brisbane Heat. The winner of that plays the Sydney Sixers, and then the winner of that goes to the final to play the Scorchers. So the Scorchers are sitting pretty feet up and watching everybody play uh, cricket while they, they, have, they have a quiet one. Yeah, I mean, they are the standout team in the league. Alongside Sydney Sixers, those two sides have led the way in the BBL since its inception, really. They've won huge number of titles between them and this year they were way ahead in the regular season so they got to play the qualifier final yesterday and the reward for that is is a position straight in the final so as you say they now get a week to prepare and they've got a home final out in the West Optus Stadium there was 41,000 there last night they're hoping to push 50,000 for the final next Saturday the Sydney Sixers have to do it the hard way they need to fly back to Sydney play on Thursday and then if they win that they have to fly back to Perth the next day and play the next day after that. So it's a pretty tough schedule for whichever side meets Sydney, uh, which meets Perth in the final now, either be Melbourne or Brisbane, uh, either Renegades or Heat that have to play Sydney in Sydney, and then they'll have to fly all the way across the country as well as they win the game. So um, it's a big reward for finishing first um, and getting that home final, particularly when you're Perth because of the geographical um, advantage they have of being sort of where they are or disadvantaged sometimes, uh, but they certainly like home advantage and I think they're comfortable favourites to win it now. Yeah, they, they look there. I mean, I like home advantage, but it almost feels like this is too much of an advantage. <laughs> uh, there's not much you can do about the size of Australia, so it's just <laughs> it's just the way of it. And to be fair, the last two seasons, they've, they've had to do a huge amount of relocation and travel. They, I think they've had one home BBL game in, before this season, one home game in the two sort of COVID hit summers and they had to basically go on the road and stay out of their state for the entire season because the WA borders were obviously the last to open over here um, after the restrictions lifted. So they couldn't, they could, they could barely play any cricket in their home state because other teams couldn't get in and they couldn't get home once they left. So um, I don't think anyone will be good to them the home final this year. They have a really strong supporter base. I mean, we saw that with the crowd last night. So um, yeah, Fully earned. They're a fantastic team and they're going to take some beating. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, have a quick squiz at tonight's game. Uh, this game interests a lot of New Zealanders because of uh, who's involved. Of course, on one side, you've got Martin Guptill. On the other side, you've got Colin Munro. Two blokes uh, that a lot of people think New Zealand should still be picking internationally. Um, how have they been going through the BBL? Uh, well, Martin Guptill's had a, had a reasonably average tournament. If I'm fair, he's, he's looked a little bit off the pace, really, um, at times. Uh, but a player like him, he can he can come good at, at any moment, and, that, and the Renegades will hope that it's tonight. Uh, Munro stint at the end of a few weeks ago. He's now out at the, I think it's the ILT20 um, in Dubai. It might be the SA20 disaster. I can never remember where players are these days, but he did basically half the stint with... Brisbane, he, he played one remarkable innings, got a, a 98, which almost saw them home in a, in a tremendous run chase, but they fell just short. And actually, it's been the Heat's late-season run. They've won five games on the bounce now, and they look to be really struggling to make finals. They obviously won the Eliminator the other night against Thunder with a terrific, uh, with a terrific performance. They've been boosted by Usman Khawaja and Manus Labashain being available. They'll play their final match tonight before heading off to India with the test squad next week. So the Heat will want to make the most of them uh, tonight. So it's tough ones to call tonight. Uh, Melbourne Renegade's home advantage. They've played some some solid cricket this season without ever looking quite um, a powerhouse side. Alan Finch had a very good season, which has been a good story. So 
tough one to go, but with with Kawada and Labuschagne available, I just fancy Brisbane Heat to win this one. All right, and then uh, you mentioned the Sydney Sixers have had a pretty good season. Um, are, are they that much better than uh, anybody else, other than, uh, of course, uh, the Scorchers? Oh, I think they are better. How much better in T20 is always a debate because ultimately it comes down to one performance then. Um, I do, I mean, the other thing for them will be coming off the disappointment of last night's uh, outing in Perth. They were not at their best, um, although they made a game of it for a little while in Perth Scorchers run chase. I do think there is daylight between Scorchers, Sixers um, and the rest, but that doesn't necessarily mean much come finals. It will be interesting though to see which side gets through tonight if it's heat there that actually might work in Sixers' favour because they're going to lose three players to the India Test squad Kawadra and Abhishek who I mentioned Matt Renshaw will also leave for the Test tour so they're going to have a really patched up batting lineup if they do get to the SCG on Thursday the Renegades um, they're not losing anybody to the Test squad so they'll have the same side together so if they were to win tonight you'd think they'd be the more stable side and probably the tougher opponents to go into that challenger Final, but yes, I, I do. I do think Sixers are, are the best of those three teams. Whether they win on Thursday, that's a lottery of T20. Yeah. Uh, what about the Sixers? I mean, they are going to lose Steve Smith. I'd imagine is Sean Abbott going to yeah. India as well? No, he's not. So they, they'll. They, so of, of the guys who played last night, it's just Steve Smith. They'll lose. They will also lose from their squad, and neither of them played last night. Nathan Lyon and, and Todd Murphy, the two off spinners. Um, Todd Murphy's actually probably the bigger loss for the T20 side than the Nathan Lyon. Lyon only played one BBL game this season and they managed a little knee niggle he had, although not convinced he would get in their best T20 side. Anyway, Todd Murphy's this young offie who's going on his first tour and he's very highly regarded. So they're getting there, sort of had to go through their bench strength of spin bowlers. They played both of them last night in Perth, which was a curious selection decision. I think in hindsight, they would rather have played another seam bowler over there, having seen how that pitch ended up playing. Um, so, yeah, the Sixers are going to be challenged too. They're going to have to find a new opening bat, and no one's going to replace Steve Smith. But what the Sixers have is a real sort of team ethos, team spirit. Smith didn't get many last night, and then Moses Henriques and Jordan Silk got Sixers up to a total, which wasn't far off being, being competitive. They were probably 10, 15 short of really giving Scorchers um, a tough chase there. So, <coughs> pardon me, home ground advantage on Thursday. Um, I still think the Sixers can do it, even though Smith is leaving. Yeah, all right. What about Perth? I mean, uh, uh, I don't know if they're going to lose anybody, but interesting to see Cameron Bancroft opening the batting there and, and, and sort of coming good. Yeah. He, is, he's, if he's not going to India, who's going to be the sandpaper monitor for the Australian t- test team? <laughs> I, think, I think we've moved on from that as much as perhaps some... Some people overseas like to still still bring it up, but no, I mean, I mean, yeah, he's had a he's had a terrific season opening the batting. He's not in the Australia mix um, at the moment. Um, they just have a really solid, well, a hugely strong squad, and they are losing a few players to the India tour. Rather, Ashton Agar didn't play last night. He's already in camp here in Sydney, head of the tour. Uh, Lance Morris, the fast bowler, who played last night, he's also he's also in the Test squad, so he won't be available. Uh, for the final, but they've become very used to seeing players come and go. Even before the season, they had, a, they had to make a whole raft of changes. They actually lost all their original overseas signings for a combination of, of different reasons and had to bring in a whole new host of players. They then saw players in and out with the test squad. Mitchell Marsh has been injured all season, and yet they're still in the in the final. So they, they really know how to make the most of their depth. Um, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll be confident of covering, particularly as they've got home ground advantage, um, covering 
um, those losses there. They'll hope that Matt Kelly's back. He had concussion and missed yesterday's game. Uh, they don't think Jai Richardson, who is their sort of lead strike bowler um, and was in brilliant form before this latest injury, he, he's done a hamstring. They don't think he's going to be up in time for the final, but I still think they'll be confident of covering those bases. They really are an extraordinarily strong T20 side. There's an interesting story coming out of Australia about David Warner feeling exhausted um, ahead of the Test Tour to India. Uh, apparently not going to a cricket awards dinner where you have a couple of wines and eat something um, is going to make all the difference. Uh, what have you made of this and, and his form? I mean, are you surprised he's still in the Test setup? Uh, no, he made 200 two Test matches ago. So, um, no, I mean, he, he came through that little... He, he had a lean start to the to the test season, was struggling a little bit, but then that, that double century in his 100th test MPG, that was a monumental innings. There is still a debate about whether he has passed his peak, and I think he probably is past his peak as a, as a player. Generally, at 36, when the edge goes, it generally doesn't return. Um, but he's still, he's still a very good player on the comments of him being tired. Look, I'm, I'm not against sports people being honest. If we, we sort of Slam sports people when they're a bit dull and they don't say stuff. And then Warner comes out and gives the quote that becomes a headline and everyone used it. We all used it. And kind of, if he says he's tired, he's, he's tired. He has to be fair. He's played as much cricket this season as any of the Australians, actually. He played all the one days and T20. The, the Australian season started way back in August, end of August this year or last year. He played all the one days and T20s that were there. He played all the World Cup. Uh, then he, he played the five test matches and then he's had this BBL stint um, when he's come back into the league for the first time in 10 years. Some people won't like the comments. Some people don't like David Warner. That's just that's just the nature of the beast with David Warner. Um, has he made a rod for his own back by saying it? Probably, because, again, people latch on to what, um, what the likes of David Warner said. Um, I don't blame him for preferring not to go to the CA Awards on Monday night. I mean, he is going to go. He will, he will turn up. He's not going to boycott it or anything like that. Um, I, I don't blame him for wishing he didn't have to do that. It is two days before they fly to India for what is a career-defining tour. Uh, but he, he, he'll do his job. He, he'll turn up and then he'll fly off to India on Tuesday. What will be interesting to see is how these players do back up, not just Warner, but all these players that have been in the BBL, um, how, how they back up now into the Test Series. It's only going to be a week turnaround from when they get to India before they start that first Test. So it will be interesting to see um, sort of how some of these players transition transition back into the long format. Now, uh, on India, they currently sit in the box seat in the ODI rankings. They are number one, and I believe after the series between England and South Africa, those are the uh, rankings locked in for the World Cup later on in the year in India. Um, the only chance of that changing was England to whitewash South Africa in South Africa, but that's not going to happen. Uh, the Proteas, with the first win in that series, second game is tonight. What have you What have you made of that? If I'm honest, I didn't see much of that first game. The hours being at the are over here and there's fundamentally just a bit too much cricket on these days. So it's hard to watch everything that goes on. But it was a tremendous fight back from Slatsky to take that opening game. England's opening stand 146. You would have fancied they would have knocked off their target quite comfortably then. It was really good to see Jason Roy back in the run. So he's had a real tough year or so, year 18 months with the bat. But he's a really dynamic opening bat. And it just goes to show the depth England still having in white ball cricket that they can... They can be missing certain key players and then and then Roy comes back in, finds form and, and scores that 100. But a terrific result for Tabasco, actually, really important for them. They're still trying to qualify automatically for the ODI World Cup. They need to, I think they've got five ODIs this home season, three against England and two against the Netherlands that were postponed 
uh, from COVID a couple of seasons ago. They, I think if they win three or four of those, they can still qualify um, for the World Cup uh, automatically, which would be massive uh, for them. Um, otherwise, they'll have to go through the qualifying tournament in Zimbabwe, which is in June um, of, of this year. So a lot riding on these games for Slavka, a lot riding on it for Slavkin cricket more broadly at the moment. So it was good to see them get that first win. Um, England, a little bit off the pace with the bat. They haven't played ODI cricket since November. Some question marks about the balance of the side, but good for them to see Joshua Archer back as well. He's obviously not played for a long time. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens in the next game today. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at that 11 from the England team, and I know there are certain players that don't play um, all formats for England, but how uh, how many names are missing that you would expect to rock up in game one at the World Cup in India in, in October? Uh, not not too many, if I'm honest. It's more probably a balance of who was in that squad from, on the like who's touring in the squad and didn't play that game. Chris Wokes is probably one that you'd say would come back in and play as a uh, as a first choice. The, the big question mark is whether they can persuade Ben Stokes to to come out of ODI retirement for for, for for one last hit, basically, in the ODI World Cup. And it was talked about last year after they'd won the T20 World Cup over here. Um, the question had been asked by Matthew Mott, the coach of Ben Stokes, and no one's going to push Ben to do anything he doesn't want to do. And they are planning not to have him for the World Cup. But I think there is just that glimmer that he may, if it was almost like, look, Ben, you don't have to play much beforehand. We know what you can do. If you make yourself available for the ODI World Cup, we will obviously pick you and you'll be in the team. Uh, so, so we'll see. I mean, he's the one that brings so much balance to the side. At the moment, the, kind of when you look at those England sides, they are they're still very strong, obviously, as you, as you say. There's just possibly a little debate over how it's balanced at the moment, whether they're a batter light or a bowler heavy on, on some occasions. Obviously, with Ben Stokes, you sort of solve that because you have another top-order bat who can bowl 10 overs. So, um, whether he comes back or not, nobody knows, and it's probably unlikely, but he would be the guy that would sort of add another dimension again uh, to that side. But there are players emerging. Sam Curran's a terrific all-rounder now, sort of taking that mantle on in the one-day side uh, that Ben Stokes had. So there's a bit of a blip in their one-day cricket at the moment, but um, I'm pretty confident they'll work it out over the next uh, six to eight months. Mm, all right. And um, just uh, finally, mate, uh, I don't know how much you saw of it, but New Zealand versus uh, India, the uh, uh, the ODI series, got close on a couple of occasions, uh, got swamped once. Uh, what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a test of depth, isn't it, for both sides? And not surprisingly, India have extraordinary depth. Um, in all formats, but particularly in, in white ball cricket. It was good to see New Zealand get up in that T20 uh, the other day. That would have been a nice morale booster. And they're finding out a bit about a number of players who, who are on the fringes of when everyone's available. Um, we've seen this for a number of sides over the last couple of years that, that, that they use some of these tours to sort of test their bench strength. They're also aware of you can't pile everything on a small number of players. Obviously, there's a couple of players, noticeably one, obviously Trent Bolt, who is, is no longer a part of that setup, at least for now. Um, so, so they're having to find ways to to move that side forward. They're obviously starting the building process towards the ODI World Cup as well in October. So I'm not surprised that India came out on top in that ODI series. Uh, like I say, good to see New Zealand take a take take the T20 the other night to to, to make that series interesting. Um, yeah, like I think it'll be all eyes on the New Zealand home summer meal or the, the latter half of the New Zealand home summer when they get back and see whether they can pick up their test form against England and Sri Lanka and see whether they can bring a bit of stability back maybe to the white ball cricket, have a, have more of the first choice players available before everyone moves into the IPL break. And then of course the final build up to the ODI world cup um, in October. 
Good stuff, Andrew. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Uh, really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work at Crick Info, eh? No worries. Speak soon. Yeah, will do. Uh, Andrew McGlashan there from crickinfo.com. Go and check it out. Uh, basically, if you need any cricket information, it's all there. They've got all in-depth stats, etc. as well. It is 20 away from one. When we come back, we'll talk football with Paul Eiffel. It's a quarter away from one o'clock here on SENZ and uh, Sunday afternoons, of course. Yesterday we saw the Phoenix play in Palmy uh, for the first time since 2009. Part of the call team on Sky was Paul Eiffel, former Phoenix player, former uh, Millwall FA Cup finalist. Got to bring that up, Paul. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Uh, I've got to say, we heard from um, Ufuk Tale. Uh, earlier in the show, played uh, some of the press conference. He certainly said that he thought the officials sort of were the ones that really affected the result. Phoenix probably should have won that game if it wasn't for what has to be considered a dubious red card. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've, I've watched since watched it back. Obviously, watched it during the commentary, um, and you have to be a little impartial. But um, I, for me, they, you know, you use the word obvious, um, and it wasn't obvious. I thought that. He's made a decision on the pitch. I don't think it needs to be uh, sent to VAR, really. Um, it was nothing that said to me that he had to be sent off. So, really difficult, probably, for Vitale to take. Um, Phoenix were pretty good up to that point, and it certainly did change the outcome of the game. Yeah, definitely did, mate. And, I, I mean, I don't know. I know the Phoenix... Um, it almost seems, even coming from someone like David Dome, that they're a bit jaded by the whole process of going through and, and trying to overturn red cards. Uh, so it'll be interesting, given you know Scott Wooten's still injured, injured, if they try and do that ahead of Friday's game against the victory. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because you know the rules and regs make it so hard to overturn it, um, and you can actually get you know games added, which it seems ridiculous to me. I mean, in a, in a decision like that one. Um, you can clearly see that there was not really too much intent. Um, and I think the referee got it wrong, but it, it, it just becomes so difficult to try and overturn it that you end up thinking, well, let's just take them one game and, and get on with it. Now, this Friday we play, uh, or the Phoenix play the uh, the victory over there. Um, it'll be without Clayton Lewis, who is a big miss um, as well. Scott Wooten, as far as we know, probably won't be there. Tim Payne probably won't be there Um a little bit under strength and probably a game, given where the victory are, that the Phoenix need to win. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's one that if you won an away game, you won an away game against a team that are struggling to perform. So um, it's not the hardest away game. And I think somebody like Finn Sermon, who did manage to get 30 minutes at the weekend and, and did pretty well, I think he'll be able to come into the team and, and hopefully fill the gaps that are going to be missing. So I, I don't see it as too... It's a, it's a big loss losing Tim Payne, but I think... Finn Sermon has probably been chomping at the bit to, to get an opportunity and this is it. Uh, the um, other thing is that there's a bloke called Callan Elliott plays right back that I know you know a lot about. Uh, the most assists in the A-League this season. He's really come good this season, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Uh, I've had a you know, good couple of catch-ups with him and, and it's nice to see that he's putting the, the hard yards behind the scenes. He knew with the likes of Zavada and, and Kwayev coming in this year, two big boys that are, you know, two are crosses, that he had to make sure that his crosses were on point. I think you can see that hard work's paying off, which is which is nice. You know, it, it doesn't always, um, and certainly it does take time, but I think he's hit the ground running this season. He looks fitter, looks stronger, and uh, I think defensively he's come on as well. So it's it's nice to see him chipping in one end with the assist, but also nice to see him doing one in this sort of one-on-one duels as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, the, the women get uh, underway at 6 o'clock today. Their game being postponed by 25 hours due to weather and, and, and travel interruptions. Uh, coming off a great win, uh, got to go to Brisbane and do it all over again. How do you think Natalie's uh, bringing that side on? 
Yeah, it's going to be tough over there, to be honest, um, against a decent Brisbane, Brisbane side. But um, after last week's, you know, I think it was an out of the blue. I was, well, was it out of the blue? I think they'd been knocking on the door of, of, of improving. Um, but I didn't see a 5-0 result like that sort of coming. So it's nice for them to, to do that. Can they go and back that up now? That's the thing. Um, it'll be nice to see them sort of grab some points and try and find their way off the bottom of the table. It will be. We'll have to uh, stay tuned for that one later on today. Let's talk a bit of FA Cup while we've got you, Paul. Of course, uh, fourth round, uh, Spurs and United got it done pretty comfortably tonight. So did uh, overnight. So did Leeds. So no real stresses for the, any of the Premier League sides except for Fulham. Yeah, no, no big surprises really. Um, I, United, I think, were nil nil at half time. So it was it was tight till half time. But then they they did well. Two goals quickly from Casemiro were, were the difference really. So. Um, you know, you expect, especially uh, teams like that, to be able to go through to the last stage of this competition. But it's nice to see teams taking it seriously a little bit earlier in the competition. Yeah, it is. Still played a pretty, both teams played a pretty decent side, and um, you know that in the past that has been something that some coaches at the bigger clubs sort of you know take a view. Well, it's only the FA Cup where yeah, I think it's the biggest you know cup competition or domestic cup competition in the world. Yeah, hundred percent. And the other thing is, uh, I wanted to ask you too. You mentioned Casemiro scoring two there. Uh, I thought it was funny that Graham Souness, who you could argue potentially has a has an agenda, um, when United signed him, said he's not a world class player. He's just surrounded by world class players. But man, what a difference he's made! I think Souness is just one of those grumpy old men. You know, I hope I don't end up going the same route. But it's it's just because football's a little bit new, a little bit fresh, and he's. He's obviously not up to speed. He obviously hasn't watched enough of Casemiro to know what he brings. I mean, he's a fantastic footballer in his own right. Um, you don't end up playing in a Real Madrid midfield if you can't play, put it that way. Um, and I think Souness probably needs to get out and watch a bit more football. Yeah, or, or retire. Or, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, uh, uh, a Kiwi uh, involved in this in this round of the FA Cup is Max Crokem and Golfer Grimsby, who are in the fourth tier. Uh, they played a two-all draw at Luton, so they get a replay uh, back at Grimsby, which is, has got to be good for them. And actually, plenty of draws in this round so far. Yeah, look, I think I think for for Max and, and the Grimsby team, they'd be buzzing to get them back to their place. I mean, I've played at Grimsby; it's not not an easy place to go, and I think Luton will be thinking maybe they won't slip there, not not getting that job done at home. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Grimsby beat him in the, in the return leg. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed we can get him into, into round five. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Uh, Burnley, Ipswich also drew, so did Sheffield Wednesday uh, and Fleetwood. So there's plenty of um, replays. Uh, the other one, oh, Blackburn, Bourne, uh, Birmingham, I should say, and Fulham uh, drew with Sunderland in London. Now, they have got to go uh, to Sunderland to replay that, and Sunderland have been going pretty well in the third tier, uh, sorry, in the in the second tier. Uh, they, they, go, they go all right at the moment. This could be a game that um, that goes might go south a bit for Fulham going away there. Yeah, I'd agree with you. That's a really, really tough place to go. I mean, Sunderland are a decent side. There'd be amazing home support for that game as well. So, uh, yeah, I think Fulham may come unstuck. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that one, mate. And now just before you go, we've got a couple of games tomorrow, um, including Brighton versus Liverpool. Um, this one on the coast, we know what happened last time. Uh, Brighton 3, Liverpool 0. Uh, they've played twice already this season in the league and Liverpool haven't won yet. Things aren't going well under Klopp. Do you, what chance do you give Liverpool to get into the fifth round here? No, I think Brighton can turn them over. I think, I think De Zerbe's done an unbelievable job there. Obviously, the fans were really disappointed when Potter 
uh, made his way to Chelsea, which hasn't worked out for him. But Deserby came in, probably unheralded. You know, people who is Deserby, but his football has been fantastic. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were to, to knock them out. And, and, and the other tie that I'm, I've got my eye on is the Sheffield United Wrexham. Mm. Um, I've, I've watched the uh, the documentary, the Wrexham documentary, which was amazing. On, uh, on Disney, so I'm a bit of a Wrexham supporter now, and and they're playing my old team, Sheffield United. So that'll be a pretty big one as well. Yeah, it'd be a great story for Wrexham if they got through to the fifth round, wouldn't it? I mean, they, I know they're a bit Hollywood FC right. now, but it's, that that documentary yeah. is fantastic watching. Uh, it's, it's one of the best I've seen. It's, it's, it's brilliant, you know. And all these these guys that were never going to be famous um, are suddenly thrust into the limelight, and, and you can't help but follow the journey now. So I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit of them, my sort of second or third team now. So it'd be nice to see them go through. In saying that, Sheffield United is my old team, so uh, it's one that I'll watch with interest. Yeah, well, it's a, you can't lose, really, can you? You're in a no-lose situation. No, point. that's right. I'll be happy either way. Yeah, 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 exactly. I don't know. Did you see the uh, the story earlier this season? I, I assume there's going to be a second season because the first one was so successful. But uh, Paul Mullen, uh, the star striker, had these uh, new training, uh, these new boots that he wore in training, and he had F the Tories uh, stitched into the side of them. Um, which blew up and the papers picked up on it, and uh, he was banned from the club uh, by the club for for wearing them in games. Um, and then the, <laughs> the first game back after that story broke, uh, ten thousand Wrexham fans were just chanting "F the Tories" in the stand for basically every time Paul Mullen got the ball. Yeah, I think I think they've definitely been another another season. I mean, I thought it was class. Um, the word on the street is that they have been they have been filming. And there's one in the pipeline, so I'll certainly be looking forward to it. Oh, good stuff. I know, I know what to get you for your birthday now, Paul. I'll get you what, a size large Wrexham shirt. Is that you a size large these days? Yeah, that would do. If, but, I, if I can still squeeze in a large, yeah, I'm on, a, I'm on a bit of a self kick, so I should be all right. You should be good. All right, mate. Hey, listen, thanks very much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Enjoy those games no tomorrow morning, eh? Thanks, mate. Cheers. Paul Eiffel there with us uh, talking football. And uh, yeah, there are two games, or three games, I should say, tomorrow morning in the FA Cup. And those games are Brighton versus Liverpool. Brighton are paying 260, Liverpool 250. The draw at 360. Stoke $1.67 favourites against Stephen and you are paying fives. I like Stephen and that if you want to smoke him for an upset. The draw 360. And then Wrexham 420, Sheffield United $1.83. And the draw, $3.60. There you go. Those are the games tomorrow morning in the FA Cup. Brighton-Liverpool kicks off at 2.30. Stoke-Stevenage at 3. And it's a 5.30 kickoff. Uh, uh, you welcome to Wrexham fans as they take on Sheffield United. It is five away from one o'clock. When we come back after one, we're going to be talking black sticks with Lavina Good. She is commentating this afternoon's game between the black sticks and Spain. And also, Taylor Johnson is going to join us as well from Sky Sports, former Black Fern herself. We are going to talk the Sevens out of Sydney. This is SENZ. It is your Sunday afternoon and uh, joining us on her way to a wedding. And uh, thank you very much for your time as a commentator on the Sevens, uh, Taylor Johnson. How are you, Taylor? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, and uh, another great weekend of Sevens. I, I do love these two weekends. I don't know, we've lost, uh, we've lost Hamilton, but having back-to-back Sevens weekends uh, is awesome, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, and it, it, it's quite interesting because it helps do just drastically for some teams, you know, in the space of five days. So, you know, the Hamilton works as like a bit of a trial, and then Sydney, you know, they need to get everything right in those five days. But look, I've enjoyed it. I uh, drag my mattress into the lounge um, and watch Kevin's all weekend because of the weather, of course, in Auckland. So, no complaints here either. <laughs> Your mattress and some floaties, hopefully, maybe a mask and snorkel. <laughs> 
Oh man, it's uh, it's, it's been pretty tragic here, but it's been good. Yeah, just watching the sevens and parking up and having nothing to do on a long weekend. I'm not complaining. <laughs> no, that's always good, man. That's always good. Uh, well, it's interesting you said that, you know, about back-to-back weekends because you could work on things that didn't go right last time to improve the next weekend. But, uh, I mean, in some ways it can go the other way as well. I mean, we saw Argentinians, uh, the Argentinian men, you know, they, they took out the title in Hamilton, but they're not even in the semis this time around, so it can also go the other way. Oh, 100%. You know, like that, that happened to Argentina, didn't even make... Um, the quarterfinals and then, you know, Samoa, they, you know, didn't make the quarterfinals last weekend and now they're here. So okay, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that's why the game of sevens is so fun because anything can happen in a game. You know, you used to go into watching a match and always have a preconceived idea of who would win. But now, you, you know, you just, you can't decide. Um, I tell you what, I, I have not bet on sevens in a long time because of it. <laughs> <laughs> fair play, fair play. I tell you, a team that... Um, and I don't know if I've been sleeping on this or what, but uh, last weekend I was really surprised at just how good and competitive Ireland were. I never thought they were quite uh, at that level, but they've done it again this weekend. Uh, what's been the big change for Ireland, do you think? Oh, I think they've just invested really well in their programme. Like, if you look at Great Britain, um, you know, it's an amalgamation of Wales, England and Scotland and Northern Ireland, and they haven't quite fired as well as you had, would have hoped because it's a mix of all these different nations up in in Europe and they haven't quite got a central location. But I think the Irish, they've, they've invested heavily in their program, you know, the women and the men. Um, you're like me, you know, last year I kind of slept on Ireland and then now I'm like, what, why are they so good? Um, but I think it's just, you know, the cohesion of keeping with the same teams as well and look the back friends play them in the semi-final. Um, this afternoon, I think I think that's going to be a great game. Obviously, they dealt to them in Hamilton, but in saying that, you know, they would have learnt from the, those games in Hamilton. And look, the Irish side are really good. We saw how good they were against Fiji, the women, and then for the men, yeah, they lost to South Africa. But you know, New Zealand and South Africa are in the same pool in the men's division, and New Zealand um, just lost to them um, with a penalty kick. <laughs> so that was quite interesting. So look, I'm really excited for the semi-finals, and it's good to see both teams in black um, through. Yeah, well, oh, and let's talk about the men because it does feel like they're in a bit of a rebuilding phase, right? They didn't go well at Hong Kong. Um, they've had a few poor results by their standards. Uh, it seems like it might be starting to come together again, though. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, they're back at the top of the table when it comes to the overall rankings. And I think it is due to the unpredictability, you know, Samoa before Hamilton was on top and then, then missed out on the top eight and now they're sitting in first and. Yeah, it is really interesting. I, I really like um, some of the young athletes. Like Roderick Solo is just so incredible. And I remember we first saw him playing for Scott's College at the Condor Sevens, I think four years ago. And everyone was just like, who is that kid Solo? So it's great to see him getting an opportunity. Um, and yeah, they are starting to filter in some new um, young talent into that side. And it's, it's great. But you know, what is interesting is um, no Australian teams in the semifinals on their home tournaments. So I think... Uh, lots of Kiwis are watching that and quite surprised as well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's not too many tears shed this side of this side of the ditch when Aussie teams um, uh, get knocked <laughs> out early. Um, uh, to be fair, uh, what about what have you made of Peyton Spencer? I mean, uh, getting his first opportunity here, obviously he's got a bit of pedigree. Uh, what have you made of him as a player? Yeah, I think I think what um, Kyle Lindell's doing is really good. Is you know just introducing him. Um, you know, with a few minutes to play in each game, just giving him a bit of a taste because the last thing you want to do with someone so young is throw them in and put a lot of pressure on their shoulders. You know, he, he's been good. He's carried strong. Uh, we know he's got good footwork. 
because um, it is a big step up. You know, last month he's playing schoolboys and now he's playing against, uh, you know, seasoned professionals. And so I like how they've slowly integrated him into the games. And I think, um, you know, he looks like he belongs there. So it's, it's good to see um, him grow with confidence in each game as well. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, the uh, the men get underway around six o'clock tonight against the French in the semi-finals. Uh, let's talk the Black Ferns, though. They, uh, you mentioned they're, they're playing Ireland. That our game, I think, kicks off at around a quarter to six out of Sydney. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I look at that team and I look at the things that they've done over the last couple of days and I think, how good a position are you in if you can bring Portia Woodman Whitcliffe off the bench? Yeah, well, I think I think it's actually been really great to see um, a lot of the seasoned professionals on the bench, and it, it just goes to show that they're trying to blood in the young ladies, as we said. You know, the likes of Georgia Miller getting a lot of game time. Um, it, it's been really great to see, and it just goes to show the depth uh, that the side has. You know, they don't need to rely on on Woodman Whitcliffe and, you know, Hidene and Will, um, Williams, now Guthrie, <laughs> um, off the bench as well, which is which has been really good. And one thing, though, is that they haven't really been tested too hard, you know, over the over the um, pool games in both weekends. So I think, you know, um, this matchup against Ireland uh, could, could be quite interesting because, as I said, they haven't really been pushed too hard. Um, you know, they played Japan twice and um, got a good win over France, Papua New Guinea. As well, so I think um, you know, as much as we like to think they'll breathe through, it could be a tough uh, game up against um, the Irish woman. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, that's what we want to see, right? We want to see uh, our mm-hmm. players, our players push. We want to see the best play the best. Uh, Stacey Flula's also been having a good tournament, but I wanted to ask you about Georgia Miller. She's a reasonably new name for a lot of us. Where you know, she certainly um, yeah. uh, made herself known in Hamilton, shall we say? And, and she's carried on that form in Sydney. She looks like a real prospect. Oh, she is such a lovely girl off the field as well. You know, um, she first busted onto the scene. She was playing for Christchurch Girls High School. She was actually enrolled at Timaru Girls, um, but they didn't have a team. So, she, you know, went and played for Christchurch at the Condor Sevens a few years ago. And she single-handedly won the tournament on that team, you know, up against Hamilton Girls, who who um, are known for breeding the Sevens players. You know, I think there was at one stage nine Hamilton Girls players in the Blackburn Sevens squad. Um, and she is just so electric. She's an Irish, you know, does Irish dancing as well. So, you know, she's got got the high knees and stuff, and she can jump out of um, tackles and things like that. But she's just really tough and really hard, and um, she's really unrelenting on the field, and to think she's only 18 years old is really exciting because I think we'll see a lot of her um, in years to come. But she just plays with such confidence as well, what I really like. You know, she's not playing like a young 18-year-old who's fresh out of school. She's playing... You know, with a lot of mongrel, which is what you like to see on the sevens tournament because it's not often known for being a physical game. It's usually a pace game. But I think um, she brings a whole lot of physicality to the team for someone so young. So, look, yeah, she's new to a lot of people. But for us who have been, you know, following college rugby, you know, she's been a household name. And we all kind of knew straight away, well, she's destined for good things. And so it's no surprise to see her in black. That's, and it's good to see her. It's, it's, she's like the antithesis of Michaela Blyde, isn't she? You know, Michaela runs around everybody. Georgia just seems to run through everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, 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 you know, the women in that team, they all just bring something so different, which is, I think, why they're such a well-rounded side. Like that Australian team, you know, a lot of people think, you know, they've got the best athletes. And, and to be fair, they have some phenomenal athletes, but a lot of them rely purely on speed. 
and they are one of the fastest teams on the competition. But the reason why we saw, you know, USA upset them in the semis last weekend and France upset them this weekend is they just brought a really physical, unrelenting um, attack towards the Australian side and they just had to get up and tackle and tackle and tackle. And then in the end, they were gassed when they did get the ball in hand and couldn't really rely on their speed. So I think, yeah, it's so good to see a wide range of skill sets in, in the Blackburns team. Uh, now, the potential uh, finalists are, you know, obviously it's it's the Black Ferns versus Ireland one semi. The other side, the French take on the US. Uh, the US have really invested, particularly in seven, since become an Olympic sport. Where is their program at, and do you think they're favourites to beat the French? Yeah, that's an interesting one, because at the beginning of the tournament, I would have said definitely the USA, but after seeing France um, up against Australia yesterday, you know, I, I can't count them out, but yeah, I really love how much um, the Americans have invested in sevens. You know, for years we always say, "Oh, they're sleeping giants and whatnot," and it's a pretty um, amazing, really, that they actually missed out on the Rugby World Cup this year. You know, so that so that 15 game has taken a bit of a nosedive there. But for sevens, I mean, um, the woman there, like you know, Alona Ma, um, is outstanding. You know, she's just such a big figure and she's a really cool figure off the field as well which is why I think Stevens is growing in popularity over in, in America because you've got some really cool talent you know you've got um, Sullivan who you know is straight from the army so she's really tough <laughs> you've got someone like Naya Tapper who's you know um, just played I think a 30th tournament um, this weekend so oh, I think the USA will probably meet them in in the final um, if New Zealand do get over Ireland and oh, for the men you know, <laughs> I said it's just so unpredictable like our men are playing France, um, which, you know, is going to be a great game because we saw France beat Australia in the quarters. But South Africa, Fiji, I mean, two absolute powerhouses when it comes to sevens. I mean, you can flip a coin to guess who's going to win that one because it's going to be such a tight tussle. But I think due to the support in those crowds, maybe Fiji will get over the line. Maybe they will. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, uh, and like you say, you know, Sevens has just got so tight now where it used to be two or three teams basically going into a tournament trying to meet each other in the final. Now it's, you know, it's jeopardy come uh, quarterfinal time or even at the group stage at some points, depending on the draw. Oh, 100%. Like, you know, I was looking at the overall standings last night and, you know, never would I think Fiji would be an eight, you know. <laughs> and in the top four, there's Argentina and USA just after New Zealand. So, you know, five or so years ago, it was always, you know, New Zealand, South Africa, Fiji, Australia. You know, Australia now in seventh, you know, Samoa back up there where, where they used to be. And and I think that's why it's such an entertaining sport to watch these days because, as I said, there's no preconceived ideas as to who's going to win. You know, only a couple of months ago, New Zealand went down to Spain, you know, and that was a big shock, but it probably isn't the shock that it should have been because all these teams are catching up. Like, I was so impressed with the way Uruguay were playing, you know, it's like, where have these teams come from? I think everyone's just started to invest heavily and, and we're starting to see it come to fruition. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. Uh, i got an idea. And uh, Taylor, you know, what I what I have to say doesn't really cut mu- much mustard with New Zealand rugby, but I know you're a lot better connected than I am. Um, you know, that they're, they're always trying to get people through the gate before Super Rugby games as early as they can. And, you know, um, all respect to some of the other games that they have on there, like, you know, schoolboys and stuff. It doesn't seem to resonate unless you're, you know, you've got a kid at one of those schools. But I was thinking, for development of the sevens, each Super Rugby franchise should have a sevens team. And then we just do sort of round-robin sevens competitions when the New Zealand teams play each other 
opening those games. So you can go along for a couple of hours beforehand and watch a mini tournament like, you know, four teams going up against each other in sevens and uh, you're developing that next tier and giving some extra entertainment to the crowd too. What do you think? Oh, I mean, like, never say never. It's quite a cool idea. You know, you got to think, you know, you talk about the pathways. Well, they got rid of the uh, National Sevens Comp a few years ago and haven't brought it back. So, you know, really, where are they selecting these players from? You know, and there, there is no real, um, play, you know, other than the Ignite Sevens where they, you know, cherry pick a few players that they've seen on the 15th circuit or from school. But other than that, there is no competition. And, and you know, I think um, Super Rugby teams love expansion, you know, when the 20s competition came and it was, you know, another opportunity to extend their brand. And why not Sevens? I know, you know, with um, Opiki beginning, uh, that's opened a lot of doors for these franchises and um, brought in a whole lot more fans. You know, obviously, women's rugby is, is riding on the high of the World Cup. So, hey, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I would like to go watch it. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll tell you what, you take that to New Zealand rugby and sell it in, mate. And uh, <laughs> I'll just take 10% when it kicks back, all right? <laughs> will do, will do. <laughs> Good stuff, Taylor. Thanks very much for your time, mate. I know you've got a wedding to prepare for, so I'll let you go get the glad rags on. Uh, have a great afternoon and uh, enjoy the uh, footy. No doubt you'll slope off into a corner and watch it on your phone. Absolutely, thanks, Ricardo. And uh, Lavina Good joins us out of uh, Mount Monganui. Are you at Blake Park yet, Lavina? You there? Oh, no, you're still talking to kids. Uh, Lavina Good is... Uh, Obviously, a friend friend of the show, friend of the station, uh, and is uh, working as a hockey commentator this weekend, calling the Black Sticks as they take on Spain in Phil Burrow's first series in charge of the Black Sticks. Uh, obviously, they were supposed to play Saturday, Sunday, but yesterday was postponed because of the uh, weather. So, uh, but and they, they weren't going to play today either. But they made the late call that they are going to play today. So, Levine has been called back up. So. I'm going to get a clearer picture from her of uh, what is going on. I can tell you in the NBA at the moment, uh, just towards the end of the third quarter, the Brooklyn Nets and the New York uh, Knicks are going head-to-head. The uh, the Nets are up by 11 at the moment with about a minute 40 left in the third quarter. So the big New York battle on between the Nets and the Knicks. Uh, Lavina Good is with us now. G'day, Lavina. You, I, ho- I hope you're dry. I hope uh, the Good Place or Good Place Towers is, is, is all intact. Yeah, nice to chat with you, Ricardo. I'm okay. Uh, we had a fair bit of rain last night, actually, and there's, there was a house that went down in, in Toronga, which was really unfortunate. Um, but so far, so good. We're staying dry. And right now, at the moment, it's not raining. Can you believe it? It's not raining. That's fantastic news. Now, uh, are you on site over at Blake Park just yet? Yeah, I'm heading there after the, a quick quarter at all with you. Um, I just spoke to the general manager of New Zealand Hockey, Nick Smith, and it's all um, ready to go, go. And I also had a quick chat with Clinton Butler, who runs the Taranga Hockey Association, and he said the turf is fine at the moment. They had to cancel yesterday because there was so much rain. I mean, we all know that they play hockey in just about any conditions, but there was so much rain, they just couldn't get the turf dry enough for the players, and it would have been dangerous, but... It's been light rain throughout the morning. It stopped now, and the forecast is for 50-50 chance of rain uh, at 3 o'clock, which is great because we, we definitely want to see some international hockey. And, and we also want to make sure that we can promote the cause because it's part of the Gift to Safe House initiative with the Women's Refuge, which I, I really love. And I think it's fantastic that 
Hockey New Zealand have been brave enough to support the initiative and everyone who buys a ticket to come along, Ricardo, 100% of the ticketing proceeds goes to the Women's Refuge Initiative. And even for those that can't make it along here in Toronto for this international hockey match, you can still donate to the cause and buy a ticket through Hockey New Zealand or the Women's Refuge website and purchase a ticket to go to that great Safe Night initiative. So, yeah, it's a, a real good thing. I, I really hope play gets underway at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, fingers crossed it does. Uh, I mean, Phil Burrows will be champing at the bit as well, won't he? His first opportunity to lead this side in anger and uh, obviously a, a bit of a damp squib on it yesterday. Yeah, those in the hockey world know uh, all about Phil Burrows and the imprint that he's had on hockey in New Zealand. He spent 16 years with the men's black sticks and I think scored, you know, more than 150 goals, more than 300 matches. He was an absolute hero on the pitch, but this is an opportunity for him to come back and be in charge of a national side for the first time. He's been in Melbourne for the past six years as a high-performance coach and has picked up on a few tips that he's introduced into the Black Sticks training. But I I can envisage him being a little nervous for this one. It's only natural to be in charge of the national side for the first time. And the Black Sticks women, the Vantage Black Sticks women, are are ranked eighth in the world in their FIH standings, and the Spanish women are ranked seventh. So it'll be a close game, and play will get underway. And I'm sure... Phil Burrows will be looking to some of his younger players that he's introducing for this new wave of black sticks that are coming through as they prepare in August to try and qualify for the 2024 Olympic Games in France. Yeah, and of course this game today will also give him a bit of an idea uh, with the FIH series continuing. It's next month, isn't it, that we host China and the US? Yeah, that's right. That'll be in Wellington. Um, Hmm. It'll be at the end of um, February, February, you know, for a couple of weeks. And it's great that the FIH Pro League is making its way back to New Zealand. The Spanish side will head to Australia and play them as part of the Pro League along with Argentina. So this is a great warm-up for the Spanish side and a good opportunity for the Black Sticks to find out exactly where they're heading and how they're tracking. Uh, Word has it, I spoke to Phil through the week and the training has been exceptionally intense. Uh, The players are very, very fit and also very young. There'll be no... Olivia Mary, the co-captain, um, and she's, you know, in that 250 test group. Only seven women are in that group, and she's in it. But she she won't be playing throughout this series or this one match now against Spain. So they'll be looking for some firepower up front. That might rely on Olivia Shannon. She's just 21 years of age. But with no uh, Liv Mary there, someone has to take control up front as the striker and the and the firepower in that forward position, and it might be just that young 21-year-old from the Hawks Bay. But also we get a chance to take a look at Hannah Cotter. She's just 19 years of age. We're hoping that she gets a chance to to don a shirt today and make her Black Sticks debut, which is exciting for her, and also her sister Caitlin that's been within the Black Sticks ranks for a few years now. But all the chat, Ricardo, is about Fran Davies, the Tauranga girl who grew up in Pongakawa, which is a very small Eastern Bay Plenty Township where she went to school and intermediate school and primary school there. She will be playing if she gets a chance to play, and I dare say she will because the crowd will go crazy if she doesn't. She will be playing her 100th match for the Black Sticks this afternoon. So I know her mum, Anna, and Pete will be supporting her. All of those turning out from Tauranga will be backing her. She's the only Tauranga representative in the Black Sticks side at the moment. And if they manage to see her play and if they manage to score a goal or secure a victory, 
I reckon Tauranga will be partying throughout the night, mate. Partying yeah. all night long. That's what you want to see. That's what you want to see. And I guess for Phil, the challenge is now, you know, he, he had two games. So he had a game where he could roll out what he thinks is his best side and try some things. And then he had another game where he could roll out, you know, a few players he wants to look at and try a few things out. But now it's down to one game. Which way do you think he'll go in this game? I think he's got a game plan, and I, I think initially he was going to start with his strongest team yesterday, without a doubt. And uh, he's been structuring things at training, not giving too much away, but he's introduced the GPS tracking at training. So he knows who's the fittest and the fastest and, and, and what direction that they should literally be heading in on the pitch and on the turf, and he'll be introducing that. I don't think he'll be testing the waters too much today. A victory against a very strong top 10 side in the world like Spain would do his confidence wonders and also this young side wonders as well. So, yeah, he'll go for the strong firepower. He'll go with experience. But I wouldn't be surprised if we did get a chance to see maybe Hannah Cotter in the second half of this match. It would be great for her to make her debut. And he mentioned to me through the week with the GPS training, it was definitely her and the midfielder, Katie Dore, that had been shining out of this black stick side. So plenty to get excited about uh, for those people that want to watch some international hockey and also for those that want to support the cause, which is Gift a Safe Night uh, initiative for the Women's Refuge. It's just 20 bucks. We'll provide a bed, a meal, some support for a wahini and her children that have been facing challenges on the end of domestic violence, and that $20 will go a very, very long way indeed. So a great chance to catch some international hockey and also to support a great cause just like what the Black Sticks are doing. Yeah, fantastic. Lavina, all right, mate. Well, I know you've got to make your way to Blake Park, so we'll let you go, but thanks very much for giving us some time and uh, good luck with your call this afternoon, eh? Yeah, thanks, buddy. Go to Black Sticks and hopefully they get heaps of support. And remember, if you can't get to the game, just make that contribution. You'll you'll feel better about yourself at the end of the day. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, Lavina. Thanks very much, Lavina. Good there with us uh, calling that game at Black Six versus Spain later this afternoon from Blake Park in Mount Monganui. Our text line is open, double eight double three, double eight double three. Lots we can talk about. We can talk the cricket. Of course, uh, the Black Caps underway again in the uh, in another. Uh, T20 against India later on tonight. We can also talk the White Ferns. They had a, a good warm-up win for the uh, Women's World Cup over England uh, in South Africa overnight, uh, beating them by a wicket in the end. Uh, but the bowlers are doing the damage. We can talk that. We can talk the sevens. The New Zealand side's going so, so well there. They're both in semi-finals later on today. We've got uh, a UFC chat coming up too, uh, talking about Israel Adesanya having that rematch confirmed with Alex Pereira. Isaac Savage is going to join us, but if you want to talk that, we can. Joseph Parker, where to next for him? Who will he fight after uh, his win over Jack Massey? There's that. There's plenty more. There's the Phoenix. Uh, there's the EPL, the FA Cup games from overnight, and plenty of other stuff as well, including the Breakers, and hopefully Modi Mayor from the Breakers will join us after 2 o'clock. Uh, 0800 150 11 is our number. 0800 150 is our number. Or you can text us double eight double three.
25 away from two here Sunday afternoon on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you through till 3.30. Text through from Ken on double eight double three. Uh, Ricardo, to all the Auckland listeners out there, hope you're all safe. It's been a wild time. It sure has. Ken, I can tell you, actually, our building, uh, the entire garage was flooded out and cars were uh, up to basically the bottom of the door sills uh, and in some cases over. Uh, Kez, who's uh, through uh, in the producer's booth, was here, mate. You were, you were locked in until about 2 o'clock in the morning because you couldn't get out. Mate, it feels like I've never left, Rick, to be <laughs> fair. I mean, yeah, we uh, I, I was placed on the run home, the wonderful show, on, on Friday evening, and I just had a feeling that that heavy rain wasn't going to be the end of it, and uh, I tried to leave it straight away at 7 o'clock and... Got out, and I'm in a Ford, uh, not a Ford Jeep, I'm going to get crucified for that, Toyota Highlander, Rick, yeah. so quite a big car, and uh, I pulled out of the car park just in front of the Saatchi Saatchi building here in, in Parnell, and the water was up to my windshield, mate, so I had to just quickly reverse, come out, park out the back, luckily car was alright, but uh, poor poor Jacob from the run home, his car was submerged on the road, but yeah, it was, it was wicked, mate, just... We were trapped in the building. Every exit was was waist deep water, and and it didn't stop for a few kilometres. So, we just had to sit it out, mate. Luckily, we had the Friday beers locked in, so wow. <laughs> it's all right. But what a night! I mean, surely time and a half, isn't it? I mean, oh, I'd coming say so. in, staying at work until two a.m. Isn't put, it? Put the invoice in. <laughs> count all those hours, mate. Count all those hours. Wow. Yeah, no, but we were, we were really lucky in contention. We just posted up. Watched uh, Djokovic in the in the Oz Open and and we had quite a hell of a night, but it's it was a scary time in uh, in Auckland on Friday. So hopefully all of our Auckland listeners that are able to listen at the moment are doing all good. Yeah, we we were quite lucky, Rick, in the end. Yeah, we were we were five thousand homes apparently affected uh, from the flooding. Uh, speaking of the tennis, uh, that final is on tonight. Stefano Tsitsipas, Novak Djokovic. Now Tsitsipas is actually seated one place higher than Djokovic. But the TAB has sits a pass paying four fifty, Joker playing a dollar nineteen. It's it's really interesting because it was a conversation we were having on Friday night. I mean, when you have hours and hours on end and nothing else to do, we had a really good chat about who has the home court advantage for mm. that final. Because Djokovic, he's a he is a fan favourite in Aussie, going for his tenth, and, and then obviously sits a pass with the Greek connection to Melbourne. Yeah, who has that? So I wonder if the uh, the CAB's taken that into contention, the old home court. Well, maybe, maybe I did see that there was a bit of. Um, a bit of a ruckus around Novak's dad saying something along the lines where of uh, you know Russians for Russia forever or something like that, and being in with the Russian fans who have been very pro-Putin Russia, uh, and so he's uh, he basically had to stay away from the semi-final. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think maybe that's t- kind of turned against Djokovic. Oh, Jeepers, yeah, I haven't as affected as odds, though, really. Well, Something that affected your dad does. But no, no, I mean, the feeling in the, yeah. in the stands. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, mm. I mean, I would, I would suggest you don't go to the final either, mate. No, exactly. After, after putting out claims like that. But no, it'll be really interesting. Rick, do you have someone in mind that you'd say we're going to take it out? Is it, is it going to be another Novak or can Sitsipas do it? Because, look, Sitsipas looks a lot different to where we've seen him in the last three or four years. The thing with Sitsipas is that he's always been a little bit flaky. So if the pressure goes on, he bottles, tends to. But he hasn't done that this tournament. You know, they're, they're, in the past there have been games he should win or matches he should win, uh, and he, he just doesn't have the mental fortitude to push through. Um, but he seems to have changed that. That said, Novak Djokovic knows how to win this tournament, right? He knows how to win, knows how to win big games, big matches. Um, so it's hard to look past Novak Djokovic, really. I mean, the only thing I can see coming into play is this hamstring that he's nursed for the last two weeks. Right, he's had it heavily strapped. If Sitsipas can find even footing with him and then dictate some of the play and really run him around the back baseline, then maybe that 
that might might factor in, but I think otherwise, it's uh, I think it's Djokovic to lo- Djokovic is to lose. I had a little bit of a bad feeling about Djokovic watching that semi final that he had on uh, on Friday night, and he he came close in that first set to actually dropping it, and we were thinking, oh wow, this is going to be an upset for the ages because I think talking about odds, he was paying about a dollar one, you know, or if you could go minus, he was paying eighty cents, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, that that first set was a bit of a concern, but then it must just be like a well oiled machine, you know. He warmed up and and he took it convincingly in the end and something that we didn't necessarily want to see you know you always like to see especially the way that this Aussie Open's gone with all the top seeds flaking out it's uh it's Sitsipas camp for me today Rick. Sitsipas camp for you all right well I'll, I'll probably be supporting Sitsipas but expecting Djokovic to win you know what I mean uh last night uh we had uh Sabalenka up against uh, Rybakina in the women's final at Rod Laver Arena what a final it was as well now Sabalenka ranked fifth was seeded fifth uh, Roy Bikina seated 22nd. I mean, that doesn't tell the whole story because Wimbledon last year banned Russian and Belarusian athletes from playing, right? So the uh, world tennis basically went, well, you can't have any ranking points then. That's what they did. Now, Roy Bikina won Wimbledon. So 22 C22 was not really reflective of where she was because she, I mean, if she had got ranking points for that, I reckon she would have been top 10, probably. So that didn't tell the full story. But what a game, man. I watched this last night with the family, sat down. My daughter plays a bit of tennis, got her to watch it. Unreal, what a game. Had you on the edge of your seat the whole time. Here's how it played out last night on SENZ. So Sabalenka looking to hold early after starting with a double fault. She's got herself well clear and two aces. Palms down. Russell Crowe, if you don't mind, in the oh. house in those fancy seats just next to the court where Bill Gates was last night. Rebuckiner with a big ace down the middle. Sabalenka down the middle, lunged a backhand. It was a short half-court ball there from uh, uh, Sabalenka. And Rebuckiner goes cross-court with the forehand for a winner. Rebuckiner forehand up the middle of the court. Big off forehand was wild there from Sabalenka. And the Wimbledon champions got the early break. Sabalenka forehand strong into the corner by Rebuckiner and then missing off the ground. Sabalenka long over the baseline. Digging that with the backhand there, Rebakina. And then Sabalenka went back to her forehand. The error came from the Kazakh into the net. So Sabalenka to put the serve into play. Rebakina's uh, forehand to the backhand up the line. Hit with plenty of power there from Sabalenka finding her range. Getting to kick more. She goes into the backhand of Rebakina. There's the backhand hit with some power through the court from Sabalenka. Down the tee for an ace. There's a hole to love. It's an emphatic little statement midway through the first set. And Sabalenka goes out wide. There's the perfect response to a double to follow up with an ace. Not the first time we've seen that. Puts up the lob. There's Rebakina. Backpedaling away. Should be a comfortable overhead into the open court there for Sabalenka. She grabs the opening point. Is this the game where she strikes back? And now Robikina went back to the slice of uh, Sabalenka. Up the line, there was the opening. She was a bit stranded. Rebakina, she came to the net and it was in no man's land. Sabalenka breaks. Sabalenka into the forehand of Rubakina. She got the line here, Sabalenka. Found the opening that time. She was trying to edge a little closer inside the baseline and then she went further back, Sabalenka, and Rubakina hit deeper. Era came off the Sabalenka backhand, 1540. It's a roller coaster ride in this opening set. <laughs> There's Rubakina now. We'll go out to the backhand of Sabalenka, deep into the corner. Backhand was nice and deep there, Rubakina, and she was in that crouched position. Sabalenka nets the backhand. Two points away from grabbing the opening set, the number 22 seed from Kazakhstan.
return on the backhand. Up the middle of the court she went. Big cross-court forehand there by Rebarkinar. And trying to defend back uh, Sabalenka off that baseline. She floats it long. Three set points. As Rebarkinar now serving. Down the tee. Forehand yeah, into the net by Sabalenka. And the Wimbledon champion of 2022 is off and running. Six games to four in 34 minutes here on Rod Laver Arena. So Sabalenka at 15, all out to the backhand here of Rebakina. Up the middle of the court there went um, uh, Sabalenka. It was too short off the backhand. Put away with the forehand into the open court by Rebakina. And she's got Sabalenka at 15.30. Rebarkina defended off the baseline here by Sabalenka. Back behind went Rebarkina and then Sabalenka's overhit the forehand. Beautiful construction there by Rebarkina. Two break points. Rebarkina in a setup for a, what must have felt like 100 years there for Sabalenka. She puts the forehand to the open court comfortably. Rebarkina going cross court with the forehands. Sabalenka went up the middle. Nicely done with the forehand. And the error came off the Rebakina forehand. Then uh, Sebalenko with a nice big forehand into the corner, putting pressure on the Rebakina forehand. She couldn't work it back effectively. And, well, it's a vital hold for Arena. She's got a back pedal. Wasn't going to take it on the full with a drive volley. With backhand cross court. Great angle by Sebalenko with her backhand cross court. And that just caught Rebakina napping on her backhand wing and couldn't work it back into play. 40-30 as Rebakina goes into the forehand. Deep into the corner. Nice return there from Sabalenka. Out to the backhand stretched attempt there from Sabalenka. That was a powerful serve. Sabalenka lands the serve up the tee. Rebakina's forehand went cross court. Back up the middle, Sabalenka. Then the backhand into the net by Rebakina. Slipping away from them as quickly as. Rebakina's uh, back to the backhand of Sabalenka, who went deep into the backhand corner of Rebakina. She couldn't retrieve. 40. So Sabalenka trying to stay in front on the scoreboard where a juice down the tee for an ace. Now, the backhand. Cross court by Sabalenka. Long off the forehand by Rebakina. There's the break, folks. Game on. Sabalenka with an ace. She lets out some emotion. Ace number nine. He's digging off the baseline. Rebakina inside the baseline. Great angle on the back end. Did okay to pick it up. Oh, then a little pick up off the toes, off the half volley. Rebakina comes up with the winner. As Sabalenka down the tee for ace number 12. There's a stake in the ground from the fifth seed who's back in town. And now we start from zero. Rebakina comes up with a big serve out wide to the juice side for a clean ace. Uh, to the backhand of Rebakina. Short ball. Beautiful cross-court backhand winner from Sabalenka. It's the cross-court battle. Up the line by Sabalenka. Right on the baseline. Did a great job to retrieve off the backhand. Did Rebakina. Big cross-court forehand. Sabalenka put up the lob Rebakina. Big off forehand by Sabalenka. And a look of conviction over to her box. But I'm feeling pretty good about things. Right up on that baseline with the wide stance. She'll take it on the back end. It's right on the baseline. Dug out. She went to ground, Rebakina. There's the pressure. She put up the lob. Sabalenka the overhand. She controls it. And maybe that's the match. Sabalenka with a big break in the seventh game. Serve out wide for an ace. One game away now, the Belarusian. Most coveted trophies in tennis.
Sabalinka's back out the line. Big cross-court forehand, Rubakina. Likewise there, Sabalinka. Cross-court exchange on the forehands. Bit more angle, Rubakina. Bit more angle there by Sabalinka. Up the line by Rubakina. Dug out by Sabalinka. Slicing here, Rubakina. Cross-court forehand by Sabalinka. Back behind. She's pushed it wide, Rubakina. That was some sort of point. 15 all. Down the middle for an ace. That sets up match point. Having to work extremely hard to get to the finish line. She serves now down the tee. Forehand response is deep on the line, Rubakina. Forehand cross court by Sabalenka. Up the line, Rubakina. It's out. Marina Sabalenka. She dreamed as a young girl of being a Grand Slam champion. And she's got there. A victory so well deserved. She's been through the lows of last year where she couldn't land a second serve to save herself and the recovery has been there for everyone to see. It's been an incredible January. Arena Sabalenka, who burst onto the scene as a 17, 18-year-old with this big power game that took us by storm. And now she's won one of the four biggest trophies that tennis has to offer. Now, Yana Sabalenka, the uh, champion of the Australian Open, uh, getting it done, coming down, coming back from 6-4, uh, losing the first set 6-4, 1-6-3, 6-4 in the second two. Fantastic game of tennis. And uh, if you if you love your tennis and you didn't see it, I'd say go back and watch it. Some of the serves were just unbelievable. Uh, Robin Inka put one on, I think it was 193Ks, Right, and then followed it up with 195 k's. It was like boom, boom. Um, but then uh, when Sabalenka needed to as well, she was like she pulled out back to back aces when she was in trouble a couple of times, and they were just like. Uh, and there was a uh, the woman who was doing the sideline punditry, uh, was you know courtside punditry was saying that they um, were getting stats that were saying that the some of the ground strokes the women were playing off the deck, forehands were five or six k faster. Van Sitsipas had been in his semi-final, which is crazy. That's the one thing that we, we had a good chat about on, on the run home on Friday with Beeve and, and Kim was actually the speed that the women have been serving. And you, and you seriously, you take a look at them from this Aussie Open tournament, even compare them to last year's Aussie Open, there's been a drastic change in the speed that some of these serves are flying at. Mm. Like 195, like, mate, I'd, I'd be shocked if I got a 70. You know, 70 yeah. kilometres. Like, I wonder what, or if there's someone in there that's changed the game for serves. And, and it's not just in the women's game as well, the men's game as well. So it could just be human evolution, Rick, you know. But it's just, it's it's stunning to see. And, and honestly, women's sense always the highlight for me. It's about the mechanics of it, eh? I mean, like, yes, you know, there is some some of it will be the rackets. Some of it will be the court. Some of it, but but it's, it's timing and it's technique. I remember watching... There was a series that was on, I think it might have been on Discovery back in the day um, on Sky, and it was, I can't remember the name of it, but they went through the mechanics of different sports people for what they're trying to achieve. And I think there was a tennis one, I think there was a quarterback one, uh, but they, they did one on David Beckham when he was at his height as a, you know, with taking free kicks. Yeah. And they basically broke it all down with this guy who was a physiologist, and he said he is... Um, mechanically perfect. Everything he does gets the nth percentage out of his body to execute what he's doing with the free kicks. And they broke every movement down from his head placement to where his hips were to where his arms were, let alone the feet, you know. It was it was amazing. So yes, a lot of it comes down to that. Worth a look. 
worth a look. It is uh, nine away from two here on SCNZ. After two o'clock, we're going to be talking breakers. We're going to be talking UFC and boxing as well. Don't forget, you can get hold of us. Double eight double three is the text line, or you can call us on 0800 150 811. Brooklyn probably have done enough now to beat the New York Knicks in the NBA. There are 23 seconds on the clock. Uh, New York have called a timeout. But Brooklyn lead 119-111. So eight points in it, 23.9 seconds to go. Uh, I mean, anything can happen with that amount of time in basketball, the way it works. But you think that Brooklyn should be able to manage this out. There are more games on at the moment as well. Uh, The Bulls are up 49-37 over the Orlando Magic uh, halfway through the second quarter. The Pistons are edging the Rockets 45-43 halfway through their second quarter. And uh, just started, actually, only a few minutes in, about five minutes into the game between the Atlanta Hawks and the LA Clippers, and the uh, Hawks are leading by five. 22 to 17, we'll look at more basketball in the next hour. We're going to talk breakers, and we're also going to talk UFC and boxing. Whatever you've got on this weekend, don't miss a moment in the world of sport. Wherever you are around the country, we've got you covered. This is SENZ. On 2 o'clock here on SENZ, this is your Sunday afternoon with Ricardo Ball with you through till 3.30 this afternoon. Kez uh, over in the uh, producer's booth as well. Kez, what's happening at 3.30, mate, when we cross over to Australia? Is that uh, NBL? I'm picking it's NBL that we're crossing over to. I'll double check for you. Should have done right. my job. Oh, that's all right, mate. I should have done mine. I just realised I didn't know, so I thought I'd ask. But yeah, 3.30, we head over to Australia. I'm pretty sure it's NBL action. We will be picking up from there. Between now and then, though, Isaac Savage is going to join us in the studio. We're going to talk some UFC, talk some boxing. Uh, we're going to talk some basketball in this hour as well. The break is going uh, real well. And then uh, we also uh, might talk a bit of cricket, and we might talk some netball too before 3.30. I can tell you, India versus New Zealand, the second T20 international is tonight, well, tomorrow morning technically, 2.30 it starts. Uh, India are still favourites despite having lost the first one. They're paying $1.47. The Black Caps are paying $2.55. Of course, they had a big win in that first T20 international uh, against the Indians, which was good to see. Good to see New Zealand manage to uh, turn over, turn around that form from the ODIs, and Daryl Mitchell scored fifty nine not out off thirty, which was pretty good. Devin Conway scored fifty two off thirty five. They were the two top scorers for New Zealand. Finn Allen found some form. He got thirty five off twenty three as well. Washington Sundar is a star in the making. He's only a young fella. He took two for twenty two off four with the ball, and then with the bat plundered fifty off twenty eight. Uh, he nearly, nearly got India home. Uh, but the hero for New Zealand, really, with the ball was Mitchell Santner, who just went 
absolutely gangbusters with the ball. He took two for 11 or four in Boulder Maiden, which is uh, unheard of. Lockie Ferguson also bowled a maiden, took two for 33. Michael Bracewell, two for 31. And Michael Bracewell bowled a ball that was like him channeling his inner Shane Warne. So he pitched it probably on leg, got it to turn and beat the outside of the bat and it took the top of off stump. It was a thing of beauty. Uh, the commentators were like, that turned? Yeah, yeah, it did. It definitely turned. Uh, now, after the match, uh, Daryl uh, Mitchell was talking about the pitch conditions because, man, that pitch did a lot. Yeah, I think it's something as a unit that we, we spoke about. Um, it's constantly happening throughout the game, is adapting to what the surface is, is, is doing. And um, I thought the partnerships that Dev and, and Finn did early, and then obviously uh, Glenn and Dev as well, um, allowed us, I guess, to take the innings deeper and, and allowed us to put some pressure on India towards the end of the innings. And um, yeah, it was just about constantly adapting, trying to find ways to put pressure back on their bowlers. Um, and yeah, it was definitely challenging at times there through the middle, especially with the spinners. And I guess that gave us confidence uh, going into it with the ball that with a 180-ish on the on the board that um, if we could bowl really well and, and build some pressure and, and hopefully the Jew doesn't come down, then we, we knew we'd be sort of in that ballpark. Yeah, so that was Daryl Mitchell talking about it. As I mentioned, he scored 59 off 30. Also, uh, notching a half century was Devin Conway, and he was asked about how he changes uh, what he does in his terms of his batting stance, depending on the conditions. Yeah, I think for me personally with the bat, um, not a lot changes. Um, you know, I think I just got to try and lift my intent ever so slightly from ODI cricket to T20, um, maybe take a little bit more risk when needed. Um, but yeah, I think from last night to, to tomorrow's game, there's a quick turnaround. So um, we're looking forward to continuing that momentum that we created in that first game and just build on that throughout the series. So there you go, Devin Conway there talking about how he changes the batting stance. He also talked about the way Finn Allen batted and uh, how he thought the game went. Yeah, I think for us, um, it was a great start to the T20 series. Um, it was nice to get the win under, under the belt. Um, it's been a while since we've... We've won in India, so um, yeah, it's a great way to start the series and good momentum moving forward. Yeah, I think a lot of credit needs to go to Finn with the way he approached that power play last night. I think um, you know he got us off to a very good start. Um, you know the way he put the bowlers under pressure um, really made life easy for me at the non-striker's end. Um, and when Finn gets going like that, it's um, no better place to to watch him bat. So um, yeah, it was a great start from him. Yeah, T Twenty is not ODIs where we need him to fire, but at least he's finding some form. Uh, be interesting to see how they go tonight. Two thirty uh, tomorrow morning is when that game gets underway. We've had a few texts through. Uh, if you've got a tip, send it through to us. Uh, Jason, who uh, is listening to us in Melbourne, he has said uh, Geelong races number eight. Uh, right, sorry, race eight, number 14, uh, Carolina Sunrise. That's his tip for today. So Geelong, race eight, number 14, Carolina Sunrise from Jason. That is his tip for today. If you've got any tips for us, uh, we're, we're always happy to take them uh, and put them out there. So get in touch, double eight, double three. Double eight, double three is the text line, or you can call us as well uh, on 0800 150 And just looking at that, uh, seeing what it's paying here, where are we? Carolina Sunrise, uh, jockey is Alana Kelly. It's carrying 55 kilos, which is a little bit less than everybody else in the race. 
Uh, but it's come in from 21s to 18s, so a bit of a roughie. And from 21s to 18s, uh, paying 450 the place as well might be a, an each way if you want to follow Jason in on that one. Also coming through on double eight double three was this from Ross. I think Sunderland is a team that plays good knock- knockout football. I think they will play Manchester United in the final of the FA Cup. Wow, that would be a great run if they went on that. Sadly, too many top teams don't take it seriously. My Aston Villa were a disgrace. They should have put six around Stevenage. Bloody embarrassing, really. Uh, when they go on a week, uh, then they go on a run in the Premier League. Uh, what t- teams are your picks for the big dance in May? That's from Ross and Christchurch. Well, tell you what, I, 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 there's a bit of synchronicity. I, I always like a bit of synchronicity, right? 1983 FA Cup final 40 years ago was Brighton versus Manchester United. Brighton can tip over Liverpool tomorrow. That means there's no Arsenal, no Liverpool in the cup. Uh, Chelsea, I think, are done as well, right? Newcastle are done. Might be a might might be a, a time for a run. A Manchester United, uh, Brighton final. Uh, Kez, Kez is a big Liverpool fan. I know you, you're hurting at the moment, mate. But uh, Brighton away is never easy. What do you reckon? Nah, look, I've I've had a lot of time to ponder on the the Brighton losses. Plural. <laughs> it's sad, isn't it? Um, but no, look, I think just in terms of that text there, Rick, I love that. The, the Sunderland text there just coming through about knockout football. I've always said in a cup situation like this, I always expect a top 10 Premier League team to make the final, and then I always expect a bolter. I mean, you look at Wigan upsetting, was it Man City that they upset yeah. in 2013, I think? And yeah. you, I always expect one of these teams, like a Sunderland or a Stoke was a big one. I always thought that Stoke would have a good crack at uh, winning an FA or a Carabao Cup. But look, I... As much as it pains me to say it, I think Brighton actually have the momentum. I think it's it sort of goes along those lines of when you play a Premier League top six club as, as a team like Brighton, even though they're having the amazing season that they have, they have nothing to lose. You know, if they if they go on to lose to Liverpool, it will just be, oh, well, you know, it's Liverpool at the end of the day and they're such a bigger club, top six club for sure. But I just, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. But I don't, I, look, Rick, I'm struggling to say it because it pains me, but Manchester United Brighton isn't a bad shout at all for an FA Cup final. Good to hear that you're finally coming around, Kiz. Um, I, I can tell you that there are already 10 Premier League clubs out of the comp, which means there are only 10 left in, and by tomorrow there'll be there'll be one less because one of Brighton or Liverpool have to go out uh, tomorrow. So, yeah, it certainly has opened the draw up. We'll keep an eye on that. Thanks very much for your text, Ross. Keep them coming through. Double eight double three is our text line, or you can call us 0800 150 811. We're going to talk breakers next here on SCNZ. Simon Edwards from the Breakers joins us, the general manager. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Ricardo? Yeah, not too bad, mate. You're a bit muffled there. You don't you don't have your mascot head on still, do you? No, no, no. I've uh, I've, I've I've given that up a long long time ago. I uh, I'm just. Uh... Uh, the, the mascot without the costume now, running around like a headless truck. <laughs> Excellent, mate. Excellent. Well, great, great result uh, against Melbourne United last time because that team was on a on a streak, right? And they, I mean, they've got a lot of big pieces there. They're a tough team. Yeah, yeah, d- definitely. The the strength of the competition, you know, they're the only team that we hadn't beaten until last night. So it was one. I think personally for us, we were uh, we, we had this one circled, and and um, you know you. you you want to make sure that you uh, perform in big games, and um, you know we did that last night. You did it last night, mate. You did it well, uh, and it sets you up quite nicely now for qualifying for the 
uh, postseason, right? Because I'm I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the last round, and you're away at Illawarra. You owe them one, um, let's say, and then uh, and then you got to go yep. back to Brisbane and play uh, the Bullets. Two teams, in theory, you should beat. Yeah, as as as, as you would would know, and and uh, you know all the listeners who, who saw the game against um, the Illawarra Hawks, you know the. We were a third-place third team um, and, and lost against a, a team that uh, has, has only, up until that point, only had two wins in the season. So, you know, we, we don't take anyone lightly. Um, and, um, yeah, as you say, owe them one. Yeah, I think we do. But uh, anything can happen, um, you know, when it comes down to it. Yeah, and then I look uh, above you, immediately above you, and see the Cairns Taipans in there. Uh, they don't finish easy. They've got to go and um, go to, go out to Perth and play Perth for their last game, um, the Taipans, and that that's going to be uh, a heck of a trip for them. So, I mean, it really is in your hands, isn't it? A top two finish and direct entry to the semis. Well, it, it, it depends who you talk to. So, from from a playing group, I know they are very. Uh... Uh, you know, very consistent and, and you know, uh, focusing. I, I, I can be a little bit uh, uh, more <laughs> erratic maybe. And I, I, I really think that we've got a top two finish on our hands. I think um, I think if uh, Tasmania, who's playing Perth tonight, if Tasmania, um, you know, beat Perth at home, um, you know, Perth will be up against it. They're a team that uh, I, I would never want to play uh, when they have their back against the wall. You know, they have... Um, you know the biggest fan base, um, you know, in the NBL, um, you know, uh, history of winning. Um, so they they don't want to miss out, and, and they don't want to be um, uh, repeat history like the last time was the first time last year uh, they missed out on the playoffs um, since 1982. So they have a successful uh, history, um, and you know, I I really think they could beat Kings um, on, on the third of Feb, which would mean theoretically if we uh, continue the way that we're playing and and um, win both our games our points difference we would uh, jump into second place which would be fantastic you'd, you'd love that give the boys a little bit of a break and uh, some home advantage as well I mean I was reading uh, the uh, the report from David Long this morning and uh, didn't realize that the record uh, wasn't flash at home at Spark Arena this season so it's something you want to turn around and, and hopefully this gives you an opportunity to do it and make a bit of a fortress come playoff time yeah well it's, it's the first time in breakers history actually that uh, we will finish the season with a better away record than a home record um, but as, as I've said to a few people, Ricardo, uh, you know, when we've been playing all of our games in Australia for the past two years, uh, un- unfortunately there are uh, venues in Australia that uh, it, it has been more like a, a home ground than, um, than uh, Spark Arena. But you know, I think there's, there's a variety of reasons why that, that must, uh, is the case. Um, scheduling this year has been very difficult and we've been playing you know, back-to-back um, uh, in Auckland. So we would play fresh in Australia and then we, we kind of arrive in at 1am um, that day and then play later on so I think that has has a factor in, uh, in, in, in those records. I don't think it has anything to do with um, you know, support. We've had fantastic support all season um, you know, from our fans coming out and, and um, you know, they've obviously been missing live basketball uh, for the past two years and uh, yeah, there's, there, there's been nothing about uh, the fans that have uh, uh, mean you know we've had a worse uh, win loss uh, at home. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, as, yeah, you make some really good points there. And you weren't helped, obviously, from COVID coming through the camp as well at one point in the season and having to postpone a couple of games, which kind of that, you know, ended up biting you in the backside a little bit when you ended up having, what was it, four games in eight days. And uh, you went on that, that, that losing run for a while, which knocked you out of the top two initially. Yeah, I, I think it was one of those things as well as um, uh, if, if you or I get COVID and, and, you know, we can go back and we can, you know, uh, tap away on a screen or, or um, you know, talk on the phone and we're fine. But I think people underestimate still, um, you know, what COVID does to an athlete. And um, I, I, I think, you know, our team and our medical staff, you know, did very well um, from getting our guys back. But, you know, I think you can definitely correlate um, you know, that kind of losing streak um, to us getting fully fit and, um, you know, with injuries, but also um, coming back from COVID. I thought uh, last night the the um, the way that you guys looked after Chris Goulding was magnificent as well. I mean, he's a dangerous player, one of the best in the league, but to restrict him yeah. to, what, 11 points and three rebounds, uh, that is, you know, you're effectively taking him out of the game. Yeah, and you know Chris Fielding has has been one of the best players in the NBL for a very long time and very consistent and, and you know he he is a, a utmost professional and you know uh, he's been uh, there's been many many games that he's won against us and uh, it seems he normally uh, saves his best games for us. Um, I've I, I've had nightmares with uh, Chris Fielding and his uh, flowing locks, um, you know, uh, beating us in the past. Uh, but yeah, no. Defensively, we we played very well against him, um, and you know just limited limited his opportunities and his shots. And um, yeah, he's a streaky player. If he gets one or two, um, he he really turns turns it up. And yeah, he's the definition of a microwave in basketball. <laughs> definition of a microwave. I like it. I like it. Uh, another guy that I think has has been handled really well for you guys this year, and is offering you so much off the bench is Rob Lowe. Uh, particularly his three shooting's been on fire this year. Uh, I mean. It's you know you tend to think of him from a New Zealand basketball point of view, not as a six man, but as a guy in the starting five. But he's been doing that as a fantastic job. Yeah, I think you know what what, what Rob brings, and and you know Rob would be the first one to put his hand up and and say that you know the past two years um, ha- hasn't been his best basketball. And I think this this season, you know, uh, coming back and um, uh, you know establishing himself in in a new role, and he's he's taken on the leadership role this year. Um, you know, it's been exciting to see, um, you know, him, him step up. And, you know, last night, you know, fantastic. Um, you know, I think it was, it was 15, 15 points, six rebounds in 17 minutes, something like that, um, and was just the edge that we needed. They, uh, they were playing very well uh, um, and, and trapping um, uh, Derek Pardon down low. And uh, in the early starts of the uh, stages of the game, it was very difficult. And then you got someone like Rob who, you know, is a is a five man, but also a stretch four, and he can um, you know take that shot from the outside, which um, you know they were not really expecting. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, it, it just blew the game out for us. So um, yeah, no, he he he's been really big for us, and I think that's one of the big things about this team compared to other teams is you know we we don't have one set star. You know, if, if you look at you look at every team, you know, and, and they're talking about the MVP voting at the moment. There's not really an MVP candidate from the breakers. But we have five, six, seven guys that are solid um, th- throughout the whole competition. So, um, you know, we, we go some, sometimes, you know, 10 deep 
uh, which uh, previous breakers team has, haven't done. So uh, it's, it's, it's really positive and, and it's exciting to see guys like Rob Lowe flourish in, in this environment. Yeah, well, actually that leads me on to something else I wanted to ask you about was, you know, um, since the, the change of ownership for the breakers, uh, Matt Walsh initially had a different plan, of a, a different way he wanted uh, the organisation to work and a different way he wanted the team to look, etc. Um, they tried that, didn't really work. Um, and there was a, a, an obvious change and pivot um, in recruitment for this year. What were those conversations like between you know yourself, the owners, and and Modi? Yeah, I think yeah, you know, I, I I don't think that um, you know Matt was um, that he he had a specific um, you know plan or whatever was in place. Obviously, you know he he trusts and. Um, the, the head coach and the head coach at the time, obviously Dan Schmier, had has had his way, um, and you know Matt supported that and, and did whatever Matt could to um, you know bring that to fruition. I think you know the and you know when when we're looking back at Breakers history, um, we will put um, an asterisk on the last two years, um, you know mainly because of how crazy uh, the, the the times have been. But if you um, you know think back to you know Dan Schmier's um, first season. Um, in charge, um, you know the the nineteen twenty season uh, when you know we had Scotty Hopson and we had a fantastic run uh, towards the end of the season and you know, I think it was you know, eight out of the last ten and, and we were kind of really really pushing. Um, you know that that was an exciting basketball and that was an exciting way. I think um, you know as I said there's been a little bit of uh, the last few years have been um, hard in terms of. Um, that, but you know, we we actually did play some um, you know great basketball. But it's very hard when you've got uh, <laughs> you've got a lot of external factors and 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 whatever the case that's um, impacting on that. But you know, Modi has has been there for for that time as well. And I think one of the you know best things about uh, what Modi's brought is he's he's been there. He's understood. He's understood what's worked, what hasn't, <coughs> and and applied that. And one of the biggest strengths. Um, you know, thinking about it, it's the kind of glory years of the three P, the Mecca Baconas, and the the um, Tom Abercrombies, the Alex Ledges, the Corey Websters, the um, Kirk Pennies, um, uh, the Dylan Bouchers of of the world. So, you know, l- looking at that, we've always had a very strong uh, Kiwi core. Um, and that's what we've um, gone back to uh, this season as well. Yeah, yeah, indeed, that seems to have worked. It's a fantastic job by yourself and um, all uh, involved, mate, considering where we were this time last year and where, where things look now. So uh, uh, bring it on and may, lo- may it long continue. Best of luck for the last couple of games of the season, mate, and hopefully uh, we're, we're in the top two uh, come the end of round robin. Yeah, definitely, and, and it's one of those things that from a uh, from a general manager perspective, and and, and trying to uh, get everything aligned, um, you know, venue availability, and uh, you know, making sure that um, you know it depends who makes the playoffs to what dates they could play on, and all this. So, uh, you know, selfishly, I uh, I want it to be uh, confirmed sooner, uh, sooner rather than later, and then that just means that uh, we can we we can plan ahead and and make sure that you know Kiwis can come to um, you know home home basketball playoffs, which we haven't had since 2018. So it's, um, you know, for a team that won four championships uh, in five years and, and went to um, five finals in six years, it's, it's exciting to, you know, be, be back on the big stage. 
Fantastic stuff. Thanks very much for your time, Simon. I really appreciate it, mate. And like I say, best of luck for next week. No problem. Thank you very much, Ricardo. You have a wonderful day and uh, stay safe. Yeah, will do. You too, mate. You too. It is uh, 2.26 here on SENZ. Of course, uh, that is uh, Breakers General Manager Simon Edwards. Uh, They've still got a couple of games to come next week away at Illawarra and away at Brisbane. And then they come back home. Ken's Taipans, they've got Adelaide 36ers, and then they've got to go to Perth. And they're just above the Breakers. So the Breakers need to win too and hope that Perth can maybe do them a favour because Perth need the wins as well. That's how everything is looking at the moment. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk UFC and we're going to talk boxing with Isaac Savage. This is SENZ. You're on Sunday afternoons with Ricardo Ball, half past two, and uh, we're here through to half three, and then we crossed live to uh, SEN Australia to pick up some NBL action for you. Joining me in studio now uh, is a bloke. If you love your combat sports, you'll know the name, you'll know the face, you'll know the voice as well. Isaac Savage is in studio. G'day, Isaac. How are you? G'day, Ricardo. Welcome. Welcome to 2023. I just jumped off the canoe to get in here, yeah, so thank you for the invite. <laughs> That's all right, mate. You just just put it in the gutter down Parnell Rise and away you go. <laughs> oh, it's been wild out there, um, but there's some, certainly some wild things shaping up as well. Yeah, mate, there's some, some big things shaping up, and that's why I wanted to get you in, especially after I saw the news that Israel Adesanya has confirmed the rematch with Alex Pereira. Uh, I, I think it was always going to come, right? Is he, is he had to go back there? The quadrilogy, as they say, and this is you know the, the fourth one to finally settle the score, or could we go fifth? I mean, he almost had him in that first round. It's rightly and duly, it's only right that this fight happens. Mm. Uh, and not too far away, uh, it's going to be a heck of a matchup. Well, that's the thing. I thought that this fight mirrored, in a way, you know, a lot of people talked about, oh, Alex Pereira beat Izzy in a, in a kickboxing match. Um, and and you know if, and that on paper that makes sense. But I talked to Mike Angove about it. Talked to Rod McSwain about it. I went back and I watched the fight. And if you watch that fight, Izzy's winning that fight all day and and gets caught by something, you know, a bit of a hail mary. And it kind of felt similar. Uh, it's almost sickening how history keeps repeating itself. And like you said, he was starching him in previous fights. He almost got him in that first round when they're on you know the cage mm. uh, just last year, and then. Portan just sort of carried on through and, and got him in that last round. And I don't want to say a strange twist of fate again, but Izzy just needs to close him out early, get in there and uh, leave nothing to go to those championship rounds. Yeah, well, and I think part of that is being, you know, watching um, Izzy's probably last four or five fights is that he seems to be in a place where he thinks, I'm so much better than this guy, he can't touch me. So I don't have to risk too much. I can manage these fights. I don't have to finish the guy. I can just outpoint him and I can manage the fights. And I think that's what he's done in the past. And people have talked about that and said it's disappointing because he's not starching guys. But when you get to a guy like Alex Pereira who can hurt you at any time, you know, when he's there to finish, you've got to finish him. We might want to see some reminisce of you know the Calvin Gastelum fight where he just threw it all out there and tried to finish early or uh, just stand bang right in the middle because yes his style is safe it keeps his faculties in line he's probably going to be one of the most uh, switched on fighters into the later years but it's not always that entertaining it is safe and he might have to risk it he might just get in the pocket not stay back so far this time and really 
finish Pereira, like he did almost in every other single fight. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's shown the ability to do it, but then, like you say, you know, like we say, he, he tapers off and then just tries to manage the fight out, and and maybe that's something, a tactic. I don't know if that's a Eugene tactic, it's an Izzy tactic, but it's something they might need to revisit. Well, it certainly worked for him so far, just because mm. of the way he's so cerebral. He can almost see things before they happen, and it has worked in the past. But into those fifth rounds, I mean, 25 minutes in a cage with a monster like Pereira opposite mm. you, and you've seen the size of him. He doesn't even look like he should be in that weight category. The longer it goes on, the worse it's going to be for Izzy, and he's just going to have to get, get in there. He can knock people out. He's done it time and time again. Let's see a knockout from Izzy. That's what, well, that's what we want to see. Um, it's going to be a few months away, I think. April? That's is, right, is, April, is 8th. We, April 8th. Do we know where that is going to take place? I'd say Vegas. Yeah. Uh, be surprised. I don't think they'll be going to Brazil anytime soon after the crowds uh, there. Yeah. You know, I mean, great venue, awesome place to have it. However, I'm sure it's going to be in Vegas. Hey, that would be good. The next one is, of course, over in Perth on February the, uh, Feb the 12th. Uh, Volkanovski and uh, Makachev going head-to-head, uh, putting their belts on the line. Man, this is going to be interesting. Champ versus champ. And, you know, you look at that stare-down, and I loved what uh, uh, Volk said the other day, is that everyone gives him a look when they see him at the sheer size of him. They give him a look like, oh, yeah, this guy's little. Hey, we've got to remember, he used to be 96 kilograms playing league. That's yeah. literally the UFC heavyweight division. <laughs> And the strength of Volk. Yes, he's not a big finisher, but he's been in there with some of the biggest... Well, he mostly spars and grapples with bigger people. Now, what Islam is going to do and and have to do is going to take him to the ground. However, Volk's strong on the ground too. He's not a finisher, but he's very strong and he doesn't give up. I don't think this guy would even tap if something was snapping. No, well, that's the thing we've seen. I mean, how many times have we seen him in a situation where you're going, you're looking at him and going, well, he's going to get choked out here. How's he, He's not going to be able to hold this. And it's just like his face turns purple and he finds a way of getting out of it. T-City. No one ever thought that he could have survived on that, and he did. He just doesn't give up. And this is going to be, you know, looking at the, the odds are crazy. I mean, $340, $40 for, uh, you know, Islam. I just don't understand those odds. And uh, I feel they've got it slightly... M- not the other way around. However, I do feel that you shouldn't count Volk out so early. I mean, if it goes the distance, I'm, this is going to look like it's going to go in Volk's favour just because he can grind it out. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And, and I, the other thing is he has – you look at his average fight time, right? He spends more time in the octagon than just about anybody else. His average fight time is 16, nearly 17 minutes. You know, you look at Makachev, his is nine. So – I mean, how is he going to go deep water? Volk can take him deep water. This thing goes 25 minutes, right? How's he going to cope from minute 15 to minute 25? Well, that's, that's the thing. He's finished people so early. I mean, look what he does to people. It's that Degestani wrestling that it almost seems like the new jiu-jitsu of, mm. of this era in MMA. And you're right, he hasn't had as much uh, cage time, but all, I guess all those those years training with the guys back in Degestani will make up for it. And that's probably one thing he's just not going to be used to, the sheer toughness, grit uh, of Volk to be able to grind it out. And if he can't get a sub early, he's gonna, it's going to shock him. Yeah, yeah, it will. I mean, he, and, and then once again it comes down. I don't doubt for any moment that he's fit, but there's conditioning and there's conditioning. And Volks, Volks, I just love how he's stepping up. I mean, on paper it doesn't look so good for him, but I think he'll have half of Anzacs. You know, half the world really cheering for him. It's, it's a great matchup, and especially him stepping up in weight. 
And that's the other. Champ th- champ. Yeah, the, over there we've got uh, plenty of other uh, Kiwis and Aussies on the on the card as well, being in Perth, including uh, Jack Della Madalena uh, in the uh, welterweights up against Randy Brown. That's also on the main card. And then you've got Justin Taffer up against a guy, Parker Porter, I don't know too much about. Uh, but that just looks like it's going to go bang, bang and probably last about five minutes. Well, it runs in the family. I mean, Junior, his bro, has just signed and now Justin's, uh, you know, been there for a bit and they can stand and bang. And that. He goes in to finish. There's no, you're right. There's no other way that Justin Tuffer goes in. Tuffer gang, as they say, and he goes in to finish early. I mean, Parker Porter certainly got a bit of experience as well, 13 and 7. Don't expect this to go through. No. You know, actually, you know what? If, if, I'm, if I'm part of that uh, Tuffer camp, you know, what the, you, know, you know what my shirt slogan's going to be? I'm tougher than you. <laughs> I reckon that's what they need to roll out. I think, I think you've just given them a bit of marketing right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's brilliant. Uh, what about Jimmy Crook? Um, he's an Australian we've seen come up uh, as a light heavyweight. He's fighting Alonzo Minefield uh, over in uh, over in Perth. Uh, this is the first fight of the main card. Jimmy Crook, 13th, ranked in the light heavies. And he's a guy that not only can he do damage, but he can take damage. He's one of my favourite fighters, both fight style and personality. He's an absolute lad. He comes to parties, he's got personality. Personality and his, his record has been marred. You know, he's um, had some pretty tough fights, you know, a couple of losses recently. It's always hard to see. But once again, he comes in too. He risks it for the biscuit, leaves nothing for the road home, and he's an exciting fighter. But Alonzo Manfield, he's on the, he's on the come up as well, 13 and 3. You know, and at that level too, no fights get any easier. So Jimmy Crute's been in there with some beasts. Alonzo is another one. But based on his toughness, I see him coming through. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm looking, looking forward to that. Now, the main fight of the prelims is Tyson Pedro, another big Australian, um, up against Zhang Mingyang out of China. And uh, now, given that our old mate, Mike Angove, is the is the head striking coach over in China now at the, at the UFC centre, um, he might know a little bit about this guy. Great call. Tyson Pedro, too, being you know, staying here now mm. at CKB in Auckland or doing most of his training there. You see a lot of the snips come up there on the CKB uh, Insta and, and page. But you're right, Mike Angove, lightning. Yeah. He's, you know, he's over in, in the mainland and training up all these killers out of the USC gym. And he'll be, you know, offloading some of that CKB skills, you know, finesse that could may not play in the you know the favour of Tyson Pedro. And we've got to remember too, Tyson's been off for a good sort of couple of years, two years plus. So hopefully Mike Ango hasn't taught them all his tricks. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hey, uh, I've got a text that's just come through. Uh, if John Bones Jones returns with a bang, do you think that cements him as the GOAT? Or if not, who is it that springs to mind? It is hard to separate division, etc. But if I had to ask you for a GOAT, who would it be? Well, that's a really good text, and never would I thought John Jones would look like a good guy, ever. And lately, with everything going on, and we didn't even mention the start of the year in MMA, there's been too much to mention. John Jones is sort of emerging a hero. How? Sorry, well, you no, might have to explain that to Well, me. not a hero, but uh, just stepping up and finally fighting after yeah. three or four years, yeah. putting everything aside. I mean, given that everything else that is going on. Now, if he wins, GOAT, potentially, probably needs to win a couple more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have loved to see Nagano. Yep. However, we all know what happened there. He should beat Garn, but then he like he hasn't fought for two or three years. Garn is fast, heavy, skilled, and fit. To be honest, I hope Garn absolutely buries him. That's what I hope happens. <laughs> I hope I hope Garn absolutely buries John Jones. Be saying hero in, in one sentence of Jones probably didn't go down too well with you. <laughs> no, well, I, I mean, like you know, he's a great athlete. 
Um, and he, he's got some fantastic skills. I, I, you know, on his day, he was one of the best we've ever seen. But outside of the octagon, yeah, uh, it leaves a lot to be desired, shall we say? Um, given we've got probably BSA listening, um, but so so I'll leave it there. But, but you know what? You know what I mean. The thing is, Ricardo, there are weight categories for a reason, mm-hmm. and we're going to see this with obviously Perth mm-hmm. and Volk, and then we're going to see this with John Jones and Cyril. And look. Some people are just all about Jones, you know. They're getting absolutely swamped and mesmerised by just who he is and was. But he hasn't been around for two or three years. Cyril Garn absolutely has been destroying the weight division. We even saw what he did to our mate in Australia, Tai Tuivasa. Yeah. I mean, absolutely punished him. And Tuivasa's a big guy, he can bang, he's tough. And he went down after, you know, some punishment. Is Cyril Garn going to do the same to Jones? Yeah, well, and that's the other thing, because, you know, I... The, the last challenges Jones really had with Cor- was Cormier, and Cormier was a clincher, not a puncher, uh, and that really played into Jones's wheelhouse because Jones was so much longer than him, so it was always going in his favour whichever way it went. So it'll be interesting to see a guy who, who wants to stand toe-to-toe and can bang how Jones handles that. Well, that's the thing too. Cormier was a short guy. I think Jones always had his number, and Jones's later fights, you know, you started to see him sort of taper down a little Riaz and the others, so... This is a big step up. You're fighting the absolute best of the best, Bar Nagano. Cyril Garn, you know, if he t- takes us, where to for Jones? Great question. Great question. Keep your questions coming through, double eight, double three. Uh, does that finish Jones? Will he just follow Brock Lesnar over to the WWE? Well, he does. Interesting enough, too, he does have a seven to eight fight deal. But I'd, almost, I'd bet the house that doesn't go eight fights, given his history of even making the first one. I mean... Hey, Ricardo, will he even make this fight? I, I hope he does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, eight fights. I mean, that's we 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 should be taking odds on that one because if he makes eight fights without any incidences in between, yeah, that'd be a surprise. That'd be a massive surprise. So, who is your goat then? Who is your goat if you had to have to pull a goat? Who would you say? Well, Volk wins. He's definitely Volk. one of the up there. Um, yeah. You know, Anderson's in the mix. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's the GSPs, the, the BJ mm. Pens. Uh, Jones, for me, he doesn't quite go into that category just yet, just more so um, outside of the, the cage, as you said. But some may put him in that contender spot as well. Um, yeah, George St. Pierre is a great call. What about Chuck Liddell? Is he anywhere near it? Or is he is he more in the conversation just because of the personality? Is? But more so the personality. I mean, he was. I mean, the way he won as well, how he just leaned back, two fists down, was absolutely crazy. Uh, up there, and he certainly put the sport on the map. You know, he, he appealed to the masses. Uh, but but goat still, you got to look at like you know the caliber of fighters people fought. Even um, uh, you know, obviously GSP, the BJ's, and um, our most recent Degasani fighter. I mean, he may not have been the most mm. entertaining, but he could. Potentially going to the goat category as well. He won W's. He got the W's right, and he might have been boring to watch, but he won. He got the W's. Uh, another text has come through. Will we ever see Paulo Costa again? Uh, when uh, would he have taken Rob, or is he just officially a Twitter troll? Career after Izzy has been trash. Gotta love the secret juice. And once again, <laughs> we're seeing a real reversal of some of these enemies. I mean, I, I can guarantee you two, two, two and a half years ago, two years ago. Not many people liked it as much as they do now. He's having fun. He is a bit of a Twitter troll with the secret juice and his little memes here and there. I would love to see him fight and, and get some dubs. Whitaker's a tough one. Whitaker's an absolute beast. If, if 
Is he what wasn't around? Whitaker would be the champ. Mm, yeah, I'd love to see Whitaker um, take Paulo Costa to the cleaners. To be fair, Let, let's let's be honest. I'm, I'm just letting it all hang out. My biases, I don't care. Yeah, you, you are today. There's certainly <laughs> some people out there that you want to see hurt. And, uh... <laughs> I tell you a bloke that I want to see do well. Um, we haven't seen him uh, in the UFC for a little while. Is Shane Young, and he makes his comeback on the undercard out at Perth as well. Shane Young is sliced and diced. I don't know if you've seen photos of him recently, but you could literally grate cheese. <laughs> you could grate cheese on those abs. And I mean, he's always been in great shape. Yeah. And, you know, I love how, you know, he's spoken to Mouldy there when in interviews. He, he talks about all mental health. He, you know, he's a he's a guy that puts it out there, you know, both in and out of the ring. And oh, I can't wait to see him get in there and fight again. Yeah. Up against Blake Builder in the featherweights. That is uh, Perth on February the 12th. Hey, uh, Isaac, well, we've got you in. I did want to ask you about Joe Parker as well. Uh, of course, he got the win over Jack Massey. Uh, it was it was points, uh, although it did feel like Massey didn't really um, do much there in terms of trying to win the fight because he didn't want to get hit. Um, and Joe couldn't put couldn't finish him, couldn't put him away. He's not a Tyson-type fighter, but he, he won convincingly on the cards. I guess the question is, you know, where next for Joe? Because they're already talking about having him fight again in April. Yeah, good question. And we talked about it earlier. Just a, quickly on Massey, I mean, if you had a quick look at his record, uh, very solid record of, mm-hmm. against sort of journeymen and young and up-and-coming and old fighters around the world. But you just have to do a quick look at the record to know that he's busy and there's always going to be a tough fight. Surprised it went the distance? You know, if Joe was really trying to make a statement, he would have finished him earlier. And his trainer was very upfront about that um, after the, the, the bout. Next, potentially Delina White. Mm. You know, there was a headbutt in the first fight, knocked down for Joe. But we're really going to see him come out guns blazing. Has he reached, um, the, you know, sort of near the end of his career? Some would say so, but he's still got a lot left in him. You start, you know, power doesn't go in the heavyweight division. Well, does, that's one of the last things to go. So Delina White would make sense outside of that. No one within the top five because he just wouldn't be ready for it. No, I was just having a look actually, um, and shout out because uh, to to Sam Wilson on writing this for stuff.co.nz. He's um, he's done a, a list of potential um, opponents, uh, and the American Michael Hunter with the twenty one and two record uh, is one that he suggests might be might be an option um, for Joe if he wanted to go fight back in the states, even though he does have that Sky Sky UK deal. Well, let's think another. He sounds like a similar um, a body to Massey with the twenty-one and zero record. And if he does want to get you know more of that US market, it could be a potential great fight. But then, are we going to see the same performance? Jack Massey, you know, a lot of people counted him out early. The the American fighter as well. Yeah, solid record. But if you're the former WBO champ, you can't have any easy fights. No, you can't. Uh, what about Tim McKean out of Aussie, twenty-two and zero, former kickboxer. Really starting to make his mark now, and just went over there and done it. You know, he didn't. He's paving his own way, and he's he's calling out the big boys. You know, he wants AJ. He's asking him to get in there and stand and bang with him. AJ might be running. Is Dempsey ready from yet? Well, who knows? You never know until you throw and look at Tyson Buster, Tokyo. No one would have thought they would have went that way. Dempsey McKean, he is young. He's hungry. He's got the power. He's busy, and I I want to see that fight. Yeah, that'd be a great fight. I tell you, another one, uh, Brian Jennings might be a might might be a go as well. I mean, if we're throwing names around, I I think personally he will, it'll be a Dillian White. It needs to be another Englishman for this for the Sky market, just for that TV deal. I don't think he's got one fight left in that TV deal, so I think it's got to be a Pom rather than an American. But yeah, it'll be interesting. 
Oh, look, anyone he fights next would be great. He's a massive heavyweight, another Aussie. You know, mm. Lucas Brown's been making a bit of a comeback. There's only a couple of big heavyweights in the Aussie division. Um, Huni as well. So, But Dempsey, he's there. And it just goes to show if you really want to carve out a career in this sport, you have to go to either the States or the UK. Simple as that. Yeah, that's why you've got to do it. It is uh, 10 away from 3 here on SENZ. This is Sunday Afternoons with Ricardo. No Elton for us, unfortunately, uh, because of the rain. Uh, it's not so much still standing, it's still swimming there was, uh, in uh, Auckland. <laughs> Sorry, Rick, that was a bit insensitive. Yeah. I didn't actually know this was Elton John, and I know a lot of people missed out on Elton, so I'm sorry yes. if anyone. Yes. But hopefully this can do you enough for the weekend. Yeah, I well. can't offer you a refund, but I can offer you that. <laughs> Apparently you can get a refund. Okay, so it might just take a week or two to come through. But uh, it was somebody, who was it that I know that uh, had, oh, it was a guy that I went to radio school with actually back in 94 had put his post up saying it was the third time he'd gone to go to Elton John and it had been called off for all different reasons, third time. A lot of people were furious. Like my brother went and uh, he drove in, silly enough, because oh. that was what the suggestion was to yeah. drive. I don't know. Well, they'd be under the cook right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, my brother went and they, they didn't know that it had been cancelled. And so they started walking into the venue yeah. and people were walking past. Yeah. And my brother said, oh, that's strange. Okay, people were just leaving. They just mustn't like the rain. And then they, he said they would have walked about past about 50 people before someone said, you know it's been canned, right? They were yeah. just that furious that they'd missed out on Elton <laughs> that everyone just had their head down and gone. But I saw videos on Facebook of uh, police cars playing Elton John as people were walking past. I couldn't tell if that was nice or mean. Yeah, that, is that? Yeah, that might be the ultimate troll. It could be. Yeah, yeah obviously. Oh, they could have played Rick Roll then. Uh, well, yeah, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. It is uh, three past three. Got a text in from Lorenzo. Hey, Ricardo, I've got the 49ers and the Bengals winning tomorrow. Who have you got? Uh, yeah, well, it's tight, man. It's tight. I've, to be honest, that that uh, Chiefs Bengals game, I, well, I mean, to be fair, both of them I think are, are pretty pretty too tight to call. But I think a lot depends in that game on just how fit Patrick Mahomes is, because he had that ankle injury, right? Um, and now, if it was a high ankle sprain, which is what it was initially reported, that's a minimum two weeks on sideline. Um, but then they, they had shots of him running on Tuesday, so. How fit is Patrick Mahomes is the question. If Mahomes is fit, the Chiefs get it done, I think. So I'm probably going to go completely against you here, Lorenzo, because I also think, well, Jalen Hurts might not be the best quarterback in the NFL. He's got the best offensive line in the NFL, which allows him to be a better quarterback than he probably is, if if, if that makes sense. And I think they get it done at home over the Niners um, as well, and Mr. Irrelevant 
as as they call Brock Purdy. Have you, have you heard that story, Kez? Yeah, I just I watched the video last night of them actually making the call. Yeah, saying, "Hey, we do find you uh, quite relevant, but you will be Mister Relevant." And yeah. there, isn't that phone call saved yeah. their season? Isn't oh, that hilarious? Yeah, totally, man. And I I think for something I read somewhere that he's the very first Mister Irrelevant or you know two hundredth draft pick to make a super uh, to make a championship game. That that always bears the question with me now. If you're a, a NFL hopeful, I should say, you obviously don't want to be selected two hundredth because that would be the worst fear in the world. You know, you're the last pick in the draft. There's a, you've got one chance rather than two hundred now to let your dream come true and be in the NFL. And I asked a question to one of my mates. If you were in a sort of expected to go around that one hundred to two hundred mark, would you mm. rather go it? 150 or 120 and be and be cemented in that so the stress is off or would you want to be Mr. Irrelevant and it was quite overwhelming how many people actually would like to be Mr. Irrelevant really but yeah I think the pressure of it sitting there and going oh gosh you've got one chance yeah and you can either make it because Mr. Irrelevant he is more relevant throughout the whole year than those other guys that go between 100 and 200 so I think Mr. Irrelevant is such a cool thing I think they should do it in the NBA Really? Yeah, definitely. Even though it's only 60, yeah, I still think it just adds something. Because I, I, I couldn't tell you who was drafted 60th last year in the NBA. I couldn't tell you. He's but irrelevant. It just, yeah, exactly. He's irrelevant. And that's exactly what it is. But I think it just adds that that extra bit on draft day. And, it, mate, I'd, I'd hang around to watch Mr. Irrelevant. You know, just instead see. of being after pick 35 to 40, you're sort of, oh, okay, well, my team's had their good first rounder. We can sort of tune it off. But somewhere in the NFL where each team is however many picks they have, and it's a 200-player draft, I'd want to hang around and see who becomes Mr. Yeah, Relevant. I feel like the, it's all part of the fun. See what the story is, eh? See yeah, what the story but, uh, is. just a quick update on uh, Mahomes' ankle. They've mm. just sent out an X-ray. He's got that dog in him. There was a, uh, <laughs> it was an X-ray of his ankle, and there's a, uh, there's a pit bull where his ankle is. So he's got that dog. He's going to be fine. But, Rick, one that I brought up with you just before we move on quickly. Uh, after Purival, the Cincinnati mayor, mm. he's, uh, he's called Mr. Burrow and said, look, mate, we need you to come down to the courthouse right now. There's a, there's a serious problem. This is genuine as well, Rick. This isn't a stitch-up. This is what they're doing. Joe Burrows, you must come down now to the courthouse and take a paternity test to prove that you are Patrick Mahomes' father. <laughs> this is genuinely from the mayor of Cincinnati. He's, uh, he's put out, uh, he's, he's proclaimed, Joe Burrow, mate, you need to come down here and show everyone that you are Patrick Mahomes' father. By a paternity test, so taking who's your daddy to that next level. Oh, that is hilarious. That is hilarious. The mayor of Cincinnati. Fantastic. Better than the nightmare we have in Auckland. Um, that's for sure. Actually, looking at that, uh, the prices at the TAB, uh, the, the Eagles are $1.61 to beat the Niners, who are two twenty two, And then the Chiefs-Bengals is interesting because on Friday, Kez, uh the Bengals were at about $1.75 and the Chiefs were at about $1.95. Now it's switched around. The Chiefs are into a dollar seventy six, and the Bengals are out to a dollar ninety seven. So there's obviously been some money on the Chiefs. I'm still liking the look of the Bengals. I don't know if I can go past them. No, I don't know because even though we we are seeing Mahomes moving around and he is looking good, I'll tell you that just from just from what we've seen lately of him in uh, in practice moving around, it looks like it's not affected. But I just. I think Joe Burrows is seriously going to have a game to remember. Yeah. Well, either way, I think both are going to be competitive, which is what you want to see at championship. You know, there's nothing worse when you go into a championship game and you know who's going to win. 
or you know, you're ninety percent convinced who's going to win. Hundred percent. This you is know. a pure championship game, is it? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I am more convinced that the Eagles will win than I am that the Chiefs will win. I, but I, but even then, it's probably sixty forty, seventy thirty, maybe something like that. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, I had a text in from Craig. Um, I'm picking the tennis to finish at about two minute, uh, eleven past two tomorrow morning New Zealand time, and of course, I want Sitsipas to win. Yeah, I think we all do, Craig. We all, I think we all do. Thanks for your text, Craig. Thanks, for Lorenzo, for your text on the NFL as well. You got any thoughts on that NFL, those championship games, the AFC, NFC, uh, tomorrow morning at 9 and midday. Let us know on 0800 150 811 or 8833. Either of those will work. We can talk whatever you like on that front between now and 3.30 when we head off to the NBL with the Jack Jumpers taking on the Wildcats. Uh, Thirteen past three. I was going to. I was going to say. This. I was going to give you the score in the Celtics uh, Lakers game as the time, but that's not the time at all. That's the score in the in the Celtics Lakers game. But the uh, the Celtics currently leading the Lakers in the NBA. That one is at the Garden and uh, thirty three twenty seven. The Celtics up over the Lakers at the moment. I can tell you that the uh, Black Sticks are playing Spain at the moment as well in Tauranga. Uh, we've had what have we had? We've had about six minutes so far of the first quarter, and it is nil nil at the moment. We'll keep you up to date with those. Uh, another national team that's been in action of late is the Silver Ferns. It was a quad series uh, which I believe was in South Africa wasn't it Kez? It was. Yeah yes. which is obviously the host uh, host country of the next Netball World Cup as well so we saw Australia, New Zealand England and South Africa, uh, four of the countries you would expect to be at the pointy end of that tournament, all in action in this quad series. New Zealand beat the hosts, they beat the Poms and then they Lost twice to Aussie, uh, once in pool play and once in the final. What did, uh, as, as our resident netball, uh, netball expert, uh, Kez, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, going into the quad series, there's always quite a lot of excitement because it's hypothetically the best four teams in the world at the time playing against each other. And any time you see that, you want to tune in. But this this quad series sort of had a, a different feel to it because we know that we have the Netball World Cup at the end of the year. And having it in South Africa was a great start. Obviously, uh, it felt like a lot of a a sort of a, a mock World Cup, if you will, it, for a lot of the TV broadcasters, a lot of the coach. Um, it was just sort of, let's let's get to South Africa and work it out when we're there. So there wasn't as much build-up to it as we're used to. It was sort of just, let's go to South Africa, let's see how we match up against the four best teams in the world, and we'll just go from there. And I know that that was sort of the Silver Ferns take from it, and we had five of our key players returning from injury or paternity leave or even sabbatical. So I know that that was in Dame Nolan's mentality going into the quad series is, hey, let's sort of use this as a live trial. You know, we've got 
the stars coming back uh, to a team that's already strong, so how do you deal with that? And it was just about finding the right combinations. Karen Berger coming back from a foot injury, is she fit enough to play a full four quarters? Obviously not right now, but come World Cup time she will be. You know, So what I'd say, because I've had a lot of messages actually from people wondering, hey, Jane Watson only got a, a two quarters you know, in these, yeah. in these two games. What's sort of going on? She's just had a baby, you know. Like it's not. We we just we just need to take a breath, New Zealand as netball fans. We need to take a breath and just say everything's okay. Dame Nolan has got a good good driving on this team, and uh, I'm seriously, Rick. I'm I'm still saying that we're going to win the World Cup. Yeah, it's interesting because you know there, there were a few times uh, last year that I questioned things, and not that I'm a, a, a netball expert by any means, but I looked at things like, you know, the ANZ Championship. The best performing shooter in the ANZ Championship was Alia Dunn, doesn't get called up. And I kind of scratched my head, and then they had like a shadow team. She wasn't in that either, and she went, you know, sold this, I'm going to go play basketball for a while. Um, what was your take on that, and do you think Alia Dunn will be in the picture come the World Cup? Yeah, look, it's, I mean, this is one thing that I've always scratched my head at. The biggest one for me was Sam Winders uh, exiting the Silver Fern squad. She'd captain of the team before she'd played a, she's played over 50 games for the Silver Fern she's a, a, a certified piece of our midfield for the last midfield midcourt for the last four to five years and when she didn't get selected that's when I started to, to almost question things but international netball and this is something that I think ANZ Premiership has to do a lot better International netball and the ANZ Premiership are completely different. So I know that one, we don't have the championship anymore the cross Tasman uh, mm. competition with Australia but if we put an ANZ Premiership team into the ANZ Championship, it's it's throwing them in the deep end. So every league, even the Vitali League in England, they all play a different style of netball. Australia, what they've done really well against New Zealand is they play a man defense. So they really trap us in, right? Where oh sorry, they play a zone defense, right? Where they where they control the areas of the court that they know that we want to control. Here in New Zealand, we tend to play a lot of man marking, and that's a completely different. Uh, game to what you see in international level. So what Dame Knowles has alluded to is you've got to take away the ANZ Premiership, right? Just think of it as another league international level. And that's what Dame Knowles does really well is she she treats it like that, like it's another league. So we might go down to Aussie in a, in a quad series game and we all think, oh, geez, we're not up to the level of Aussie. Dame Knowles wasn't necessarily trying to win that game. That's not her first reaction to games like these. Come World Cup time, it's win, win, win. But for games like these, it's where can I get the best combination so I can ensure that come World Cup time, we are the best we can be. So players leaving out players like Alia Dunn, Eli Timu, uh, Sam Winders, Peter Toyava, who we did see called into the team with yeah. Gina on sabbatical, those are sorts of players that thrive in the ANZ Premiership. Peter, Peter Toyava, a perfect example. Peter got lucky and got selected, and she proved that she should be in the Silver Ferns. So I think it's up to Alia and up to Ellie, and they will know what they have to do to get back into the Silver Ferns team. One thing that Knowles does phenomenally, if you don't get selected, she'll ring you. Hey, Ricardo, I think if you want to make the Silver Ferns next time around, you've got to master this, this and this, and it just gives you that clarity. You don't have to think, why wasn't I selected? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. It's not about that. Everyone is good enough. It's just you need to be able to do the job that Dame Nolan wants you to do. Yeah, it's interesting, interesting, because on Peta Tuiava, you know, I'm glad you brought her up, because I think she's a fantastic example. Grace Nwerki is going to be our number one shooter, right? And Grace Nwerki is going to be the greatest netball player in the world. Yeah, right, she, you know, she's the she's um, uh, such a dominant force, right, and, and hard to mark, hard to do anything with. Her and Peta have almost a, um, 
you know, uh, an understanding like that you, you can't you can't build that kind of understanding. They intrinsically know where each other are going to be. Grace knows which runs to make, where to be. Peter, her passing is phenomenal. I think if you have, you know, and they play together obviously in the ANZ, so that they have a lot of game time together. And I know what you've said about the ANZ just being another league, but they've got that much um, telepathic understanding and game time together. You find a way to make that work. I think you can you can take that away from me. I, like like I said, you got to separate them. But mm. Peter Zuyava getting the call up and proving that she deserves to be at that international level mm. really sort of separates it. And I think it does come down to that combination. I mean, I was lucky enough to work with the Mystics a few years ago when Grace was still sort of developing that initial uh, relationship with Peter. It's honestly amazing to watch. And Rick, I'll get you down there to a training because I can't put it into words. The like how their connection works. They don't really speak to each other on mm. the court all that much. Or if they do, it'll just say Peter be saying one thing, right? Mm. Up, up. You know, just and you don't you don't know what's going on the whole time. But they just have this telepathic connection between each other. Where Peter is the magician, right? She's ex- she's the most explosive wing attack in the competition. She can get to. The, the far left side to the centre of the court in a split second and her defender's gone to receive that pass and pull a no-look to Grace. And you'll sit there thinking, how on earth is that going on? But I think, like I said, Grace Nowicki is is scary to watch, man. She's she's only 20 years old. I believe, and I've told Grace this and I've told Nolan this, that this is the, this is the craziest thing to me, Rick. You see the level that Grace Nowicki's performing at now? I think she's only hit about 20% of her potential. Because really? for someone like me who... Seriously, likes to watch the real, the little nitty gritty moments where Grace is standing under the hoop without the ball, watching the little things she does. She's got a lot of way to go. But if she can still score fifty goals a game and and only miss one, one or two, right now, imagine what she can do in in three or four years. It's just it's going to be crazy. So I I genuinely think Grace has only hit twenty to twenty five percent of her potential. There's so much more that she could add to her game that I know she's working on behind the scenes with with Dame Nolan, the best person to be working with in that silver fern setup. So you just watch out in the ANZ Premiership this year is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Now I'm just looking at um, some of the players. I mean, you know, we've talked about Grace Nowicki. I think Amelia Arnikanasio, Gina Crampton. Uh, Kate Heffernan, and Karen Berger, Joan Watson probably all nailed on. Do you think it's impossible? Like you look at the season we've just had with with uh, uh, Kelly Jury and Phoenix Cutica in the mm. defensive circle. It's been phenomenal. I mean, Phoenix has just played her fiftieth game for the Ferns, and Kelly, who's just won the ANZ Premiership MVP, K- Jane Watson and Karen Bergen were the were the best defensive pair two years ago. Now with uh, paternity leave and injuries, they're coming back into the squad. So this is what I mean by we sort of have a live trial at the moment because you don't know who to pick. Phoenix Karaka is the obvious uh, selection to get pulled back onto the bench, but she's just proving everyone wrong. You know, she's staying out there. She arguably in the final that we did lose, she put up a player of the match performance. Like, And it's it's poetry to watch the way that she's elevated her game with the return of these absolute superstars. She's saying, nah, mate, I'm not, I'm not going just yet. My time's not up. So it's going to be really interesting to see that defensive circle. And uh, Rick, I can't even believe, uh, my favourite defender in the whole world, Sulu Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. I haven't even mentioned her. This is just how stacked our defensive circle is right now. Well, she was going to be the next name I threw at you. It's where is she sitting? Because for me... I don't think she's guaranteed to be on that plane. Well, for her, she's going to put everything into it because she's uh, come out and said that she will retire at the end of the World Cup. 
So she's going to be putting absolutely everything into it. And I know Solo personally, and I know how hard she works. She will not stop for a second until she can get a look back into that centre circle because she fully deserves to be there. She was arguably the second best defender behind uh, Kelly Jury last year. So I just, it's it's crazy to me to have to think that we've got six or seven defenders who should be in the circle, but you're only allowed two at a time, so you can't. So it, I can't even imagine the stress that Dame Nolan must be under. What about somebody like Flash Gordon out of, out of Wellington? I mean, out of the Pulse. She's... So, I mean, she can play wing defence, she can play centre, she can play wing attack. She's rapid, man, rapid across the midcourt. She just goes all day. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's that kind of Swiss Army knife type player that that you want in a squad, particularly at a World Cup, because she can do so many things. She's absolutely perfect to uh, bring back to my comparison of international level versus ANZ Premiership. You watch the ANZ Premiership, and she is a defensive menace. I mean, she is all over. She's hunting the ball 24-7, uh, making sure that her, her circle end, which does feature Gally Jerry, doesn't have to do as much as they should be doing because they've got Flash Maddie Corden in there. But at international level, Maddie is a set wing attack. And it's the complete opposite end. So it's like centre defensive mid to centre attacking mid in football. You know, they're two completely different positions. But in the international game, Maddie is more so of a centre or wing attack just because of her lightning quick feet, what she brings to the offence, her ability to feed grace. I mean, we saw it uh, when we had the Constellation Cup. And I just, I think Maddie Gordon, sky's the limit. Kate Heffernan as well, one to watch. That's all I'll say. And that's what I'll leave you on, Rick. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. This is Sunday afternoons on SENZ. Ricardo and Kieran with you. And uh, that is just about our lot because we are about to head over to Australia and pick up live coverage of the big game from the NBL this afternoon. It is the Tasmania Jack Jumpers taking on Perth, the Wildcats, which are, is a team stacked full of Kiwis. As I mentioned earlier, these games, big knock-on effect to the pointy end of the season as we get ready uh, to wrap up our I guess you'd call it regular season game, so make sure you stay tuned in. We'll bring you Tasmania Jack Jumpers, Perth Wildcats, right after this here on ECNZ.